name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three movie podcast for Django Unchained. <laughs> I am here this week with Christian McCrowski, I think. Christian McCrowski. The M is, the M is silent, hillbilly. <laughs> and with a Django Unchained tagline, Kelly Wand. Nigger fees. See, because they're bounty hunters. <laughs> Glad we got that out of the way. Actually, you know what, Kelly Wan? I like that. I mean, when he said it, I, I winced, but when I thought about it, uh, I, I, Kelly Wan, well played. Uh, I thought when he went, uh, white people, I get to kill them, it's fine. I was thinking that as a white person, I kind of, I think we are more fun to kill. Uh, okay, I'm not going to touch that one, but I did like your tagline. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh,. Is it racist if I say I'm a non-nigger? Uh, I think it depends on context, and hey, you know yeah. we'll we'll get into some of that. Uh, but before we spoil anything about Django Unchained, maybe you haven't seen it. Stick around because we're not going to spoil anything yet. Um, and actually, before we talk about Django Unchained, uh, I am now when I go to theaters, they do you know we don't. I, me and Dingus don't watch the trailers. Kelly Wand, you apparently are fine with watching trailers. Before the trailers, they'll run those little loops of ads, those little feature, they're little feature kind of things, but they're basically ads. I am now having to close my freaking eyes for those stupid things. What? Well, they're showing, they were showing stuff about the new season of Girls and a trailer for Bioshock Infinite, neither of which I want to know anything about. So I had to sit there with the lights up in the theater and do that thing where I put my fingers in my ears and wiggle them so I can't hear anything and, and close my eyes. See, if you're big, you don't know what you just saw anyway, because you already forgot uh, about it. So then when the logo comes up, it's like, oh, what? Hey. No, but the, the AMS, well, there's a certain chain of theaters that just yes. runs that on a loop. And 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 if you get there early, you have to close your ears before the trailers even start. It's totally annoying. Yeah, I don't mind some of the crappy TV things they're showing. But if HBO is going to start giving away bits from shows that I really am looking forward to, I'm going to have to have a word with the management. Wow, That's strong talk. <laughs> also, I only saw that girls thing once, and then wasn't listening to the dialogue on purpose, which I can somehow do. And I was like excited, like yeah, girls is back. So, yeah, no, I'm really psyched about it, but I don't need to be shown snippets uh, from the next season. It's not a yeah, that's true. You don't have a choice. It's just like uh, sugar and iced tea in Canada. Ah, very good, good hey. comparison. And would the uh, sugar be Lena Dunham, and the iced tea is, <laughs> and the iced tea itself is Zosha Mamet? Which one's that? <laughs> she's she's the ditzy uh, one who is David Mamet's daughter. The the ditzy. Uh, yeah. I think her name is. Sh- she's Shoshana. my favorite. All right. All right. <laughs> Did you say uh, Shoshana? Isn't that the character's name? Au revoir, Shoshana. I'm not sure what Dingus just did. I think he's doing Seinfeld by way of Yakov. Oh my golly! Uh, also, a quick thing, Kelly Wand. Did you know Dingus? You won't. This doesn't pertain to you. This is out of your wheelhouse entirely. But Kelly Wand, did you know that uh, the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not called Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, is it in 3D? <laughs> it's called, they took out the word massacre. It's called Texas oh, Chainsaw 3D. <laughs> Maybe massacre was a spoiler. <laughs> but it really does. It sounds then like it's about tools. Maybe it's not about a massacre. It's like a how-to video. <laughs> right, exactly. What is a massacre? Is it just 10? Remember Jason 10? X? <laughs> Henry V? 
I don't know why they would take out the word massacre though. Maybe it's just you know too. They should have uh, only left in massacre and take <laughs> massacre three D. Uh, all right, Dingus. What? Uh, oh, uh, a real quick, a little update, business update. Uh, a while ago, I think when we were talking about. Um, during one of the box office reports that Kelly Wan loves so much, Kelly Wan, you asked me if Skyfall was beating Twilight, and I poo-pooed that, and I was like, oh, good Lord, no. Uh, Twilight is clearly going to make more than Skyfall. Uh, I am delighted to be wrong about that. They are, at this point, neck and neck. Uh, Skyfall has a one-week lead, but uh, it has made, this year, $289 million, whereas that silly Twilight movie, is it only $286 million? So Worldwide or domestic? Domestic. No, it's got to be domestic, because Skyfall's hit a billion worldwide, hasn't it? What's yeah, I, I'm just talking about, I don't care what the rest of the world wants to do. Yeah. They can do with their box office dollars what they want. But here in America, here in America, we prefer <laughs> Skyfall to we prefer Skyfall to Twilight. Uh, Narrowly, but yeah, I was delighted to discover that was the case. Hooray that, for the non-teenage girl demographic. <laughs> yeah, you know, the people who want to see Judy Dench. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I saw the poster for the thing by Stephanie Meyer, the host. That's not the Korean movie about a giant squid. And right. uh, everything, everybody has blue eyes, the kids. I go, oh, it's Village of the Dam, but Paranormal Romance. And I asked my mom that because she follows stephanie meyer obsessively and i go wait it's aliens because the eyes are blue and she's all yeah like in that tone like how did you you're a genius <laughs> the end. i think what that says kelly Wan, is that you might be too smart for the host uh i was too smart for twilight and i'm not i'm pretty fucking dumb that's how stupid it is <laughs> Uh, Dingus, what did we see this week? We didn't see oh, yeah. Twilight. We didn't see The Host. We didn't see Skyfall. What did we see? Don't spoil it. Just give us a little brief information about what movie we saw this week. All right. Well, this week we saw Django Unchained, mm. a 2012 American action drama homage southern movie. What? Yeah. Oh, oh okay. No, I, I just understood that. Okay. These take me a minute, but I got that one. Good. Wait, what part yeah. were you confused by? I, you know, Western, Southern, so Western in oh, Mississippi. Okay. I, I yeah. sense heading. I'm a little it's slow. A it's a Southern. <laughs> uh, it's uh, about a slave who gets medieval on a bunch of asses. <laughs> it was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, hmm. and it stars Christoph Waltz, Jamie Foxx, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kerry Washington, Samuel Jackson, and Tom Wopat. With the friendly participation of Franco and Nero. Franco, thank you. Uh, Django Unchained is rated R for strong graphic violence throughout. Mm. A vicious fight. (laughs) Wait, one? They singled out, I guess, the uh, the exceptionally vicious. Vicious fight. Language and some nudity. Okay. What? I don't know. After this, oh, oh, I lost no, interest. There, there yeah, was. When she, when she comes out of the hot box. So okay. some nudity. Oh, and, that. But best, best is a vicious fight. Now, see, that, no joke, no, I am not at all being facetious, but that is the moment, that that sort of thing, I would consider a spoiler. If I was looking at the, the little ratings bit right there, I would be, well, that's a spoiler. Hot box is a spoiler? No, a vicious fight. Don't tell me. Oh, that's me a spoiler for thing. the Quentin Tarantino Western? 
You know, if I see that, I'm going to be sitting in the movie waiting for there to be some fight so vicious that it gets called out by the, uh, what is that, the MPAA. Yeah. Uh, I consider yeah, that a spoiler. I'm going to have to now stop reading those little... They hate uh, it when kids see viciousness. That never <laughs> happened in Bambi or Dumbo or every fucking movie. From... Uh, well, let's see. So uh, Django Unchained was number two uh, for its opening weekend. It was beat by The Hobbit. Uh-huh. Um it made $30 million for this opening weekend. Uh, one noteworthy detail, it is ahead of Inglorious Bastards, uh, slightly, uh, and this will likely be Quentin Tarantino's biggest box office success, uh, commercially speaking. Huh. Really? Domestically? Yep. yep. I'm just going to keep saying that. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, which <gasps> gauges the, uh, which is the Greenness. percentage of reviews that are positive, uh, Django Unchained is at 89%. Now, here's a weird thing. This doesn't generally vary, but you can filter Rotten Tomatoes by what are called top critics, where you filter out things like the, uh, I don't know, Des Moines, Picayune Times, and little local TV station <laughs> reviewers. Like you can, <laughs> uh, So if you click top critics on Rotten Tomatoes, it goes from 89% down to 79%. Oh, make of that what you want. On Metacritic, which so infuriating. which averages the rating of reviews that use ratings, uh, Django Unchained is at eighty-one. I agree with Dingus. I agree with the music. Yeah. Now, uh, maybe you haven't seen Django Unchained. If that's the case, I'm going to warn you: we are about to engage in a discussion that involves spoilers. And to lead off with the spoilers, maybe we'll have Kelly Wan tell us what things actually happen in the you movie. Won't. I won't what? Uh, I didn't have time. I was, oh, we do not have... Okay, so we do not have a Jangopsis. I'll would, post one if there's really an outcry, but I noticed there wasn't much outcry that there wasn't really a zero. What would it have there's, been? there's always an outcry. Not, whether, not, whether you hear it or not, we hear it like, like the way oh, Ben right. Kenobi heard when that one planet exploded. That was, he didn't yeah. hear it. He felt it in his belly like he ate carrots. Kelly uh, Wand, uh, if we had a synopsis, what would it have been called? At least tell us that. Django Unchis. <laughs> not even going to ask you how to spell that. I'll use my imagination. I was. I made the mistake. I, okay. I know a lot of young people listen to this podcast. Just want to say, never mix drugs and alcohol unless it's blow, Adderall, Viagra, speedballs, and butane. But it leads to non-opsis writing. Well, Kelly, yeah, Wan, you- there was a moment during this when I was really thinking, "How's Kelly Wan gonna opsis this?" And I was really excited to hear it. And, uh, so I'm, I'm sorry you, you mixed drugs and. Uh, whatever it is, whatever else you mix. I feel bad actually while I was watching it because I was actually writing one in my head, but I didn't have time to like write it down, and now I don't remember what I was thinking. Well, we now officially have an outcry of one at least. So Kelly, one, you've got that going. Wait, I'm, you're not outcrying only. I, well, no, I was going to say I'm going to add my voice to that uh, as well. So there's an outcry of two. Uh, so. Bill of sale there. In lieu of a synopsis, Kelly, one, why don't you go first and tell us how did uh, Django Unchained work for you? Tell us what you thought of this movie. I mostly liked it, although I thought the last fight was maybe the weakest when it was about, it was going to be the best one, and I thought the rules were a little unspecific, because like, in the KKK part, that sequence seemed wrong to me. I liked Jonah Hill appearing as a bag man, but I thought 
it was different from the rest of the movie. And like what happened after they shot the farmer and why Django still have that bill of sale months later. And I wish Christoph Waltz was the main character. But I was mostly entertained by it. So, so overall, Kelly Wand, if you were included in Rotten Tomatoes, you would be amongst the 89%. I'd give it an 81 but you would give it a thumbs up. You you yes. would pr- approve of this. Uh, Dingus, where do you fall with this movie? Uh, I fall in the area of, let's see, totally annoyed and bored by it and angry. <laughs> he was he's mad a lot lately. Except- I'm not. I'm not. I, I don't know if I'm mad. I'm, I'm sure there are things that are that are uh, that are entertaining. I love Christoph Waltz. I love that. Yeah, guy. he's and, fun. What I did was just throw Inglorious Bastards on and watch him more on that. Uh, but God, this movie couldn't have been more interested in how funny it thinks it is. Uh, just, oh man. So, anyway, go ahead. You, your turn, Tom. Totally wrong. Uh, I don't know that I would go with angry so much as just really disappointed and, and angry about some things. But overall, I hate it. I, I really do feel this is his weakest movie. Uh, and I, that's quite a thing to say. I mean, even when he does weak movies, I tend to enjoy them. Some of his more uneven movies I really like. I admired a lot about Inglorious Bastards, and after seeing Django Unchained, I admired Inglorious Bastards even more. Yes, you're um, absolutely right. Yes. And this just, I just really, I, I hated this movie. I loved yeah. the first act. I was ready to love the second act and the third act and whatever else it drew out into, but uh, it just it just completely dismantled itself. Kelly Wan, you mentioned that that bag scene that uh. makes a great Saturday Night Live skit. I don't know why it was in this movie. But it's not very it's Quentin Tarantino it's, either. It's just such low hanging fruit. Yeah, like fine, you, you, that's a funny sketch, but it keeps yeah, going. Every one of us have thought that joke. So you you plucked it, Good. and then they show they, he shoots the stagecoach from far away. Like and the rest of the movie is like oh the logistics and the choreography of gunfights, but that one scene it's like oh they're on a hill. Well, let me let me actually address that because part of as, as I'm watching this, I sort of want to parse. Okay, what does Quentin Tarantino think he's doing? And it's pretty clear that what he thinks he's doing is making a spaghetti western black exploitation movie. Uh, and in that case, it's okay if the rules are sloppy. You know, the, the rules are very different in those kind of 70s, like some of this is grindhousey, I guess. Uh, the rules are very different there, and they don't, they, you know, it's not rules-based filmmaking. I'm okay with uh, Django suddenly being a crack shot. You know, we don't need a long, exhaustive uh, training montage. This isn't necessarily Kill Bill. We're just going to turn him into a, a, a ruthless, efficient killer, or the fastest gun in the South, whatever. We're going to do that. That's fine. I, I'm okay with that. Um, but where things start to fall apart for me is just because you're a spaghetti Western black exploitation, sort of a fancy genre, just because you're going to play with genres doesn't get you off the hook from making a good movie. Uh, and I feel that's this thing just completely went off the rails. That that first act was great, but the second and third act, and I don't even know if they even fit that neatly into that sort of category. But there was just it was just long and indulgent and pointless, and I didn't understand what he was doing. Um, it, it just it completely fell apart for me. Uh, and any goodwill it had earned, and and so much of that just comes from watching Christoph Waltz just fell apart for me and, and went nowhere. And so ultimately, I, I'm, I totally understand you being angry, Dingus, because I, 
you know, this should have been from the first act of the movie. This should have been really cool and, and fun and enjoyable. And and even some of the slavery stuff, he could have made some cool statements there. And I don't feel he did any of that that stuff. So you know what? I'm with Ding. I'm going to go with Angry. I'm with it's Ding. It's no this. Inglorious Bastards, definitely. But I th- first off, I wasn't in my right head, so maybe I'm giving it a free pass, and maybe I like kind of bad Tarantino more. Than Kelly Wan, stick to your guns. Don't no, no. back down. Okay. I see what you did there. But then when you said it's the weakest Tarantino, I tried to think if it was or not, and I easily maybe it, it's death death proofs. I, I don't like it as nope, well. Nope. See, it, here's the, here's where I would really differ. I hate death proof. I, I right. loathe death proof. But death proof has focus. Like death proof, for the weird structure in death proof is actually when an asset. Uh, the weird structure here, it just completely falls apart. The weird structure tears down anything he could have achieved with Django Unchained. Uh, I, and Death Proof also very indulgent. Um, but I, I sort of feel he was truer to himself. And it's kind of a weird non-statement. But I feel like he was truer to what he was trying to do in Death Proof than he was here, as far as making a subversive black exploitation spaghetti western about slavery. Um, here's my main issue. Let me bring this up. Uh, uh, Spike Lee has has gotten a fair amount of press lately by, by criticizing Django Unchained and saying, I, I think the thing that gets uh, quoted the most often, I haven't read anything, but I've seen this in little headlines on my Google News feed, uh, Spike Lee apparently said, slavery was not a spaghetti western. And before I saw the movie, I was like, oh, Spike, lighten up. Lighten up, Spike. You know, that, that was kind of my, my reaction. spaghetti western. But then I went and saw the movie, and... You know what, I kind of, and, and the thing is, Spike Lee hasn't seen this, and he said he's not going to see it, but I kind of agree with Spike Lee uh, in that it looks like Quentin Tarantino was trying to make a movie about slavery, and I admired that, and I liked some of the first part of this, you know, of a revenge story about slavery, but it ends with, it, it, it's got such this frivolous ending where he just blows up the house and then he does this little victory dance on his horse and he's clutching the villain's cigarette holder between his teeth and grinning at, at his his wife who's like doing a little little mincing applause. And, <laughs> That's and, what slavery ended. And that it all comes to this, you know, that... that that slavery is just running in, shooting the white people, blowing up the house, and then doing a little victory dance. It, it, good lord, how? Just... That's for tar. But I liked uh, I liked Leo. Uh, well, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. But but as a, as a story about slavery, I, where where did that go? You know that that first scene when he shoots the three brothers, that was pretty powerful stuff. When he's using the whip on that guy on the ground. You can't help but really feel, yeah, this is a this is a pretty powerful revenge story about slavery. Seeing Jamie Foxx as a, as a freed slave whipping a white taskmaster, that's powerful stuff. And it, 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 it just all gets bled of any sort of meaning and significance by the time it's over. Uh, that I, you know, I'm with Spike Lee. Yeah, if you're going to make a spaghetti western about slavery, stick to your guns, like I told you, like I told you, Kelly Wand. I think. Uh, I didn't take it as seriously as early on between the Jonah Hill scenes, between like the fact that every time he, every time anyone gets shot in this movie from any angle, it's like a geyser of blood that goes straight up. Like even if it's a guy on the ground and he's shot with a revolver on the sand. So I wasn't taken as like a realistic, but yeah, next to Inglorious Bastards. Is kind of 
Well, but don't you feel, Kelly Wan, that early on he was wanting to make points about slavery, though? I mean, don't you feel that that's, that's a, a huge part of the movie's agenda? Yeah, but then I thought, oh, maybe it's like Prometheus, and then the next one will be Civil War Django, and then that's when he kills Bruce Dern, and I'm just, my, my bar's lower, I guess. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, I think, the most disappointed I think I've been in a Quentin Tarantino movie now that you mention that. Stick to your guns, Kelly Wand. You're, you're, I'm just you're, saying you're I the still Django. Like it. Okay, good, good. Don't lose sight I of that. I say still see it, but you guys are probably right. Uh, Dingus, how did you feel it did as, as, as a commentary about slavery? I think your word frivolous is perfect. Uh, because, uh, you know, one of the things I said ridiculously about, uh, forgive me for referencing this, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, is um, is that, that that movie actually had an opportunity to say something about uh, monsters and slavery, huh? and it tried to it, it it like lashed out at doing that, and then it just squandered it. And I think that the word frivolous is perfect here because uh, because it, you know I don't I don't want I don't know what I want, but you know at, at the beginning when Quentin Tarantino is. Um, lashing out to make sort of a spaghetti western and he does those quick zooms which feels like Stanley Kubrick in The Shining and I, I understand <laughs> I love that that's what Dingus thinks of with those zooms spaghetti thought of. I didn't start thinking about spaghetti westerns I just thought about how much <laughs> I hate how spaghetti is it's like on the fork from nowhere um, and, then, and then I thought well you, you know Good. You you, you did uh, a Where Eagles Dare kind of a movie, and you've done this movie and that movie. Are you ever going to make a movie in in earnest? I mean, I, I, I did, it's fine. You want to do send ups of everything and homages and tons of homages and you know, okay, we're going to throw Franco Nero in here, and I'm going to throw zooms in here. I'm going to give you a bunch of film references. Are you ever going to make a movie in earnest? Uh, are you ever going to prove that you can actually make a movie and not just send up other movies or make homages to other movies? Good for you that you can set, make us sit there for three hours and watch uh, Jamie Foxx tromp around. Uh, <laughs> and, and that you're going to do that in the service of messing around with slavery, which is just distasteful for me, especially with what Tom just referenced, that prancing horse at the end. I mean, honestly, that's what you're going to end us up with? And his traumatized girlfriends all. No, it it, it winds up just being disgusting. And I, you know, when when I finally got to the end of three hours of this, I'm like, could you have given us a couple of less, a a couple, maybe a few less exploding heads, and then we could have had two hours. (laughs) I mean, self indulgent is being kind. Now, what what I was kind of. Reluctant about was that Inglorious Bastards. I love that opening one act play of Inglorious Bastards. And when we first saw it, uh, I was a little bit feeling like oh, this is so self indulgent. But watching it now, after watching this, it seems like a tight movie. This is just such a meandering piece of crap that never has a, an idea of what its uh, what its tone is supposed to be and even its visual style is supposed to be. What the hell is he doing here? And Glorious uh, Bastards is literally unpredictable, too. And, like, this is like, you know, 
Well, even, you know, Dingus, when you say self-indulgent is too kind, you're absolutely right, because I don't understand why the payoff works. I don't understand that whole last bit where he's going to get sent to work in the factory and uh, he escaped or the, the mines and he meets the Australian Quentin Tarantino and Michael Parks. I was so glad to see Michael Parks show up. And, you know, little did I know we were just being teased. He was going to be dispatched quickly. And then he just goes back and shoots people. And it's why didn't it why was that whole bit there? Why just for the sake of economic storytelling, for the sake of pacing, didn't we wrap that up with this previous gun battle? Why did it uh. it was like the Weinstein splitting things into two movies. Quentin Tarantino splits the, the finale into two finales. Why did he do that? It's because that's not self-indulgent. It's just sloppy and it hurts the pacing. And I'd already lost patience with the movie at that point anyway. I didn't understand why we split the killing of what was going on there. Can you guys help me with that? Because because he's in love with himself. Everything you need to know is wrapped up in the way Django supposedly does the um, does the fuse for the dynamite. There's no reason to do it around the the, <laughs> the lintel of the door and then up over the other part the of the door and then around the staircase and. Under his balls and over Kellywa's ears, and then over the staircase and around Clara, and then up to the dynamite. He just does that because he wants, because he, because he loves to. He loves himself so goddamn much. He loves the sound of his voice. I mean, there's no reason for Django to do that dynamite that way. And that, and that, that is the the actual reason for this movie because he just loves to listen to himself talk in an Australian accent. Oh, good God! <laughs> He's good in any accent. Thing is, whose Australian accent is better, Quentin Tarantino's or mine? Yours. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you didn't even have to say the, the second person. I would have said yours. <laughs> good God. I, I didn't know what he was doing at first. First of all, he shows up, and I'm like, oh... And he's like, he ate Quentin Tarantino. And then... <laughs> Dingus, oh, that's rude. I thought he was doing a bad southern accent. And then he's doing a... <laughs> I thought it was Jim Neighbors for a few minutes. And then, what, what's his name, Robert? Is it Robert Parks? What's his name? Michael, Michael Parks. Parks. Michael Parks, thank you, who uh, uses the same post office I do, by the way. Um, <laughs> he shows up, and he doesn't have their accent at all, and he doesn't care. Uh, Big post office. So, uh, you, you know, I here's what I wanted from the movie, and here's where I really think it falls apart. And he, here's what I think it could have been and what I was hoping for. Um, coming off of Inglorious Bastards, I was hoping he would do with slavery what he did with Nazis in Inglorious Bastards. I, and the payoff that he's just going to blow up Candyland. And, Dingus, I think you're right. It's all about being in love with just a shot of a dynamite fuse. And because of the way it breaks down the first gunfight we need to get Django to escape and come back with dynamite like it just felt like it was also he could do that stupid fuse thing um but the payoff of Django Unchained was supposedly okay he's going to blow up the plantation um what an incredibly poor disappointing counterpart to what he did with Inglorious Bastards and Inglorious Bastards I mean the more I think of it the more there is this lovely meta poetry almost with the ending of that where hitler is gunned down and burned to death in a movie theater yeah and that's the only place that could happen you know on a couple of levels and i love that aspect of inglorious bastards and i love that scene inglorious bastards for any unevenness it may have has a grand payoff 
Uh, and I really felt watching that 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 Quentin Tarantino his his sense for cinema and drama and almost this operatic ending uh, really comes through that he really understands that. So I was hoping for something like that at the end of Django Unchained. And one of the reasons I was hoping for it was having seen Inglorious Bastards and that lovely concept of murdering of Hitler being killed in a movie theater. But another reason is. He has Christoph Waltz, and I, I still want to talk about Christoph Waltz on this, like the, the, the writing of his character and his acting, because all that stuff was riveting to me. But Christoph Waltz delivers this story about the Siegfried legend, and, yeah. and I was like, wow, awesome. You know, he's going to have Django Unchained yeah. be this tragic hero. Like, why would you – it's sort of like in any movie where you have a professor give a lecture or students talk about what they're studying in school. Whatever then is explained is going to somehow be a part of the movie. Like, pay attention to that. So when, when Quentin Tarantino gives, gives Christoph Waltz time to talk about the Siegfried legend, I was like, yes, awesome. I want to see where this is going. Um, so when it becomes a quest to rescue his wife, I really thought it was going to end in this great, you know, Twilight of the Gods finale and this this tragic ending. Because Siegfried, by the way, gets killed by Brunhilde. Uh, oh, yeah, wait, hey, that would have been awesome. And, and Siegfried, you know, he learns fear from her. You know, the reason he's powerful is because he has no fear. And when he, at least in the Wagner operas, when he first sees Brunhilde and falls in love with her, that's when he learns fear and she betrays him and that's how he dies. And then she commits suicide in his funeral pyre and it's the end of the world, literally. Uh, that's how Wagner's operas go with this Siegfried legend. So to, to trot this out and then do absolutely nothing with it, what what was that? I was so disappointed in that. Uh and again, it just made me respect Inglorious Bastards all the more. Um, so uh, Kelly's actually absolutely right, and I didn't think about it until you just described that. That if if Christoph if uh, Christoph Waltz if Doctor King Schultz had been the main character and had seen that transpire instead of just being summarily dispatched, Dennis turned bounty hunter. If we had seen that happen, that would have been so beautiful. And when he dies, that's when it gets really bad. While in Inglorious Bastards, he lives the whole movie, so that's always good. As long as he's alive, so. You know, Kelly, I started to lose me before he dies, but certainly that's where I felt like the movie completely fell apart. That even just on a character level, so this guy who obviously cares about his sidekick is just going to throw it all away on principle because he is disgusted at Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, For isn't sure his line? His line is, "I'm sorry, I couldn't resist." Really. I mean, that's how the movie is. That's how all this is going to fall apart because Christoph Waltz, this 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 caring, sensitive, enlightened guy, just has to go ahead and shoot the bad guy and get killed by all of his henchmen. And uh, it's not like you can't see that coming. I mean, come on. Well, you know, Dingus, when that happens normally in a movie that involves like a heist or some kind of trickery like this, that's why you have one of the characters be like psychotic or unbalanced. You know, you have the unpredictable character there to do that. And Christoph Waltz has been a rock up to this point. Right. right. So what it just felt yeah. like a cheap. It, it was almost like and he was flashbacks. Just, and it was almost just like he uh, he was just done with the movie. He's like, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm well, when gonna... we got to that moment, I, real, I realized as he, I realized, oh, that's why we've had the setup for the uh, the Gatling gun in the arm. That's so so when he goes to shake his hand, this is this is why you set this up. And it's just so disappointing, yeah. especially when you give when you give the the whole Siegfried thing. And, 
and you have such a great setup where they're sitting in front of that rock and he's telling the story and there's this whole cave painting or this 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 weird oral tradition thing that he's doing and he's yeah. talking about how important it is to Germans and how he describes going up the mountain, going through the ring of fire, and I'm so excited that we're going to have this operatic ending, and then it's just squandered. Sorry, ah. I, could, I couldn't resist. Sorry. Well, and they go to great lengths to set up Leo DiCaprio as the worst person ever. Like, oh, he's going to get it, and then it's like pistol shot. And really, he was just like he was a, as much a jerk as anyone else. But it, like phrenology, really, that's his. <laughs> I know. That like, whole yeah. scene where he did, what is uh, yeah. by that point in the movie, I'm th- I'm thinking of what are things we can cut. And if I'm thinking <laughs> of what are things we can cut from your movie, you're in trouble. This is like yeah, this is my I, version of of Tom watching news news reels. Is is. <laughs> There's no reason for that hacksaw and the skull thing. The whole you know, there's no reason for it. It's it it feels like a bad version of the um, of that moment in True Romance where where Walken and Hopper are having the pantomime thing. <laughs> Except this leads to no, there's no reason why Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't have the scene with Samuel L. Jackson and then James Remar walks in with the shotgun. There's no reason to have that stupid skull scene. It's why we. It's worst case scenario monologuing, isn't it? it <laughs> yes, it's his book uh, and to the Brunhilde legend. Like that's his legend. Phrenology, the, yeah. the three dimples. <laughs> right. Caesar had them. It's like it's like Quentin Tarantino cannot res- resist everything he's ever done a uh, a little bit of research on. I'm going to give you. <laughs> I'm not really? going to cut any of my research out. You think you read a phrenology? I found this out about phrenology, and I found this out about pantomimes in, in Sicily, and I'm going to give you all of it, and I'm never going to cut anything. Right, right. Wait, what's the pantomimes? Uh, sorry, that's the. Um, I think that's what he calls it when in that in the true true romance thing I'm talking uh, about, where where Dennis Hopper talks about. Uh, I thought that's or, what uh, they call slinkies and. What. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, how about, I was fascinated, however, with Samuel Jackson's character, but wasn't clear what was going on with that. Like, I just says it. Because limp goes away. And that was, that was one of the fascinating things. I mean, I was fascinated with Samuel L. Jackson's performance, uh, with this idea that, and pardon me for saying it, this idea that he was a house nigger and that there's nothing lower than that. I wish they'd explained that. I mean, I love this idea of a quizzling villain who is collaborating with the enemy, maybe, but why was he doing that? What was his motivation? Was he just loyal to Leonardo DiCaprio? Uh, I, I didn't understand the point there, and I didn't understand why the worst vengeance was saved for him. Um, I mean, he I almost guess that, got away with it, except for him. Like, he was the one who, who fucked up their scheme. And, and okay, well, you know, fair point. Uh, and by the way, that scheme even, I don't understand why they didn't just go, because the slaves are property, why didn't they just try to buy her? I didn't understand that whole elaborate thing to uh, involve the fighting stuff. Uh, all that seemed just, you know what, just busy work. Like Dingus is saying, he's written something, he, he's read about the fighting rings, and so he's going to have this subplot in there. Uh, it just felt like something else that he had researched, and so he's not going to cut any of that. There's going to be this long thing where they masquerade as as people trying to buy a, a, a Negro fighter. I, I didn't get any of that. Just go and offer to buy Kerry Washington. She's obviously for sale, uh, and you'd save yourself a lot of grief. 
Um, and then they do, and then the handshake happens. But I thought the what I mean, none of it wound up mattering. But what I assume was going to happen was that he was going to have to Mandingo fight against that guy who we see kill the other dude. Yeah, and that that could have even which would have been interesting. And like, yeah. Django definitely be underclassed in that fight. So it would be an exciting suspense. Map. And and Kelly Wan, you mentioned the uh, the blood squibs, the the weird. Like I kind of liked the blood squib stuff. It's the same one though, almost. Just because I'm so sick of digital blood, so it was nice to see that sort of practical effect. But you're right, Kelly Wan, that it was really sloppy. It hurt any sense of choreography. Uh, and where all of this came to a highlight for me was that weird scene at the end. And again, I didn't understand this. You know, at the very end, uh, he tells everybody to step away from Miss Laura who's uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's sister, and he shoots her, which I don't really understand why. Okay, whatever. But she goes flying off, like, at a 45-degree angle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> bloodlessly, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what the, what was that, were we, was that supposed to be a funny bit? Like yes. the, the, oh, so, okay, that, maybe, you know, playing up uh, a funny bit there, I didn't understand why he would do that, or if it was just sloppy. She um, had it coming. Why, though? She what did she sister. do? I don't know. Really? Okay. Well, Kelly Wan, we need you to defend this movie. Well, not that part. <laughs> I can defend the first act that you liked. Uh, I'm trying to think what else I liked, because it seemed like... I think I liked the acting more than you guys did. Well, which acting? Because I you know, I was Christoph. fascinated with Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Christoph Waltz, of course, that guy can pretty much do no wrong. Uh, but even... So, Leonardo DiCaprio, you did like what he was doing? Yeah. He was he was someone I was interested in what was going to happen to him and like what drove him like he didn't know French it seemed funny to me. Mm-hmm. I liked the bit about the reveal about uh, Alexander Dumas, like where he explains that to him. I, I, I enjoyed that little bit, but uh. it's thing too where I couldn't tell. See now you make me hate it, but it's like I was trying to figure out if Leo's character was supposed to be dumb or smart, but I guess he's supposed to be dumb, right? <laughs> you know, uh, so I immediately after coming back from this, just because I just had such bad Quentin Tarantino taste in my mouth, I needed a palate cleanser. Uh, I rewatched Jackie Brown, which I am convinced is I, I, I so love that movie. Uh, and that, by the way, what a great way to to homage black exploitation movies. I mean, that movie is so in love with Pam Greer, and there are a few amazing scenes of her just like walking past colored tile. Uh, it, like that's the way to homage to do an homage to black exploitation, um, and also Samuel L. Jackson in that is this amazing mixture of dumb and shrewd mm-hmm. as a villain, <laughs> and I just love watching him there. And I didn't, I, you know, I, I, when I hear you ask that about Leonardo DiCaprio, I don't know that there's an answer for that because I I wasn't that impressed with the way that it was written, and I didn't care that much really about what Leonardo DiCaprio as an actor was doing. Um, well, it winds up not mattering. That's the thing. It does wind up not mattering. Exactly. It, it totally so. gets uh, like like Jackie Brown is all about her playing that mixture of dumb and shrewd that Odell, that Samuel L. Jackson's character has. And you're right. It, it just all gets squandered with this. Sorry, I couldn't resist. You know, with basically Christoph Waltz shrugging. Uh, in in uh, and that's Jack- something I'd see in any movie. Like it didn't feel like Inglorious Bastards. Uh, like the only survivors are Brad Pitt and. B.J. Novak, if I remember right, and Christoph Waltz, which is unpredictable. Like in Django, no one lives or dies that you wouldn't expect in any movie. Right. Right. Which is disappointing, yes. 
Nicola, one, you're not defending the movie very well, so say something I good. I liked uh, the guns. I thought Broomhilda was a witch, by the way. Broomhilda in folklore, you mean? <laughs> oh, Broomhilda, you're so wobbly. Hey, Lord, was a vulture. That's my defense of it. What am I eating? No, what do you mean you thought Broomhilda was a witch? You mean comic Carrie, strip? Carrie, remember the comic strip? Uh, I'm afraid I don't. I really, she's a Valkyrie Kelly wand. She's. She, Did you uh, say that? Valkyrie? How else would you say? How do you say it, Kelly wand? Kelly wand. <laughs> uh, what about? Uh, I did. I wanted to know more about um, uh, hot axe woman. Like there was some hot chick with an axe who. Yeah, it, let's let's go there. Uh, well, holy cow! I'm not. So here's the thing is I really did think, okay, now it's going to be like a Kill Bill thing where he's going to square off against each of the different villains. Yeah. Oh, an axe woman is going to be one of them, and the guy with the speech impediment is going to be another. And oh, nope, he's just going to go in and shoot them real quickly. Uh, Easily, well, as they run away. Or go, can, can I just say that I, I don't think Jamie Foxx is any good in this? I, yeah, I noticed that Kelly Wan did not mention him when he talked about the actor. I, 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 you know, the only, you know, I, I love Christoph Waltz, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, whatever. Um, I don't think Jamie Foxx is any good in this. There's a moment where he's like pretending to read that poster like he can't read, and he's terrible. I'm trying to <laughs> pretend I can't. And Christoph Waltz was trying. Christoph Waltz is trying so hard to like do this cool fatherly <laughs> thing, and I, it's just I so admire he's like so watching. Game. He's so young. Helpful. Django, they keep calling him. Too. But Jamie Foxx is horrible. In there. I can't stand it's him. Be Will Smith, who would have been better, go. No, I you know I don't know who would have I I would like to have seen That's Denzel. Or they're, they're all doing like he's doing a sauntering thing. He's, he's I I don't he's just I can't stand him. Dingus, you mentioned Denzel Washington, and I can't help but think of Glory. And Denzel Washington has this great sense of uh, of how being a former slave, just how it saps this this pride and gives you this beat down sensibility. And Denzel Washington expresses that so amazingly in Glory. And there is none of that in what Jamie Foxx is doing in in Django Unchained. And maybe that's the point. We just need a generic action hero. No, but, no, no. You're you're absolutely right. And I didn't think about this, Tom. This is a, you're. Making- Making a great point because in that whole scene with Walton Goggins, where Jamie Foxx is hanging upside down, uh, and even in the dimple scene, uh, there, there's this there's there should be a sense of of history and yeah. of. Of, of layered suffering on. And there's none of that. I mean, that, that's the whole point of, of Leonardo DiCaprio's speech. That's, right. the whole, that's a lot of what should be making him fearful in the Walton Goggins scene where he's going to castrate him. And you'd get none of that. that right. you, that's a great point, Tom. And, and that's, you know, if you're making a movie about the effects of slavery, I would think you would want your lead actor to... to channels some of this suffering and some of this sense of what it does to the psyche and instead the moment he throws off his uh his rags when christoph waltz unchains him he's just badass action hero throughout and if that's and if that's part of the revenge fantasy i guess fine if that's what you want to do but again it just makes it frivolous and i end up siding with spike lee thinking slavery is not a spaghetti western meets a bad black exploitation film uh this movie tells me nothing about slavery but it could have been good like i don't think that it was impossible. It was just lackluster in execution. Is that your final defense card? It could have been good. <laughs> Jonah Hill was the best Jefferson Davis. Stop bringing up Jonah Hill. Good God. 
<laughs> I would love that if he was exactly. credited as, as Jefferson Davis. That would be <laughs> awesome. A young Jefferson Davis. He alone survives. <laughs> you know, oh. you, we get to the credits, and even there's one there was one moment in this movie where I was like, oh, I like that little line. This guy comes out and he goes, come out of the snowy snow. And I love that little line. And then Quentin Tarantino credits him as the snowy snow guy. And I'm like, you're... You, <laughs> Birthday kid. You, you, you don't only reference every other movie you've ever seen. You reference yourself within your own movie. Will you just make a movie for once? <laughs> Jesus. What was he himself as, Bill Farm? <laughs> Kelly one, you're you're doing a terrible job of defending this movie. You're gonna have to do a little bit better. It's got dynamite on it. One, two, three, la 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 It does have dynamite. You you got us there, Kelly Wand. <laughs> you know what I wish it had? had you know, like it sounds not enough. What you wish what? Say that again? Quicksand is not in a Crystal Skull kind of I think it's time for a revival of Quicksand in action movies. I'm with you there, Kelly Wand. <laughs> you're, you're mocking me. No, I'm not. I think Quicksand is, is arguably cooler than lava. Why is it called it? Yeah, it is. Like, how does it form? That's the real magic. <laughs> wizards, wizards make it, and it wizards. sticks around. Yeah. Uh, how about we do a three by three? This week's three by three movie posters. Oh, <laughs> yes, Kelly. <laughs> I was gonna say, what was the movie title you thought was weird earlier? Because I thought of one too, like weird. Every time you think of the title, you go, "Why is it like Rise of the Planet of the Apes?" Was really weird. So just Rise of the Apes, like. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what movie title. So what? What's I don't remember what I said about a weird movie title. Uh, Dingus, help me. <laughs> I think he said Passion of the Christ. <laughs> what did you just think of a weird movie title you wanted to bring up, Kelly Wand? I want to remember what yours was because it was better. Uh, a weird movie title. Oh, are you talking about dropping the word massacre from Texas Chainsaw? Yeah. Right. All right. Well, we're done with that. Well, what was, what was your count of that? Did you think of it? <laughs> nice the Planet of the Apes. Oh, but they added Rise. Well, right. they added Planet. Like, Planets. For the, they kept it. See, they should have changed it. I'm arguing for a pro-Massacre dropping, but with a Planet instead of Massacre. Oh, like, add to the Planet of the Apes. Like, Rise of the Apes. The Apes are rising, but the Planet's not rising. But it's like a, it's like a marketing thing, trumping imagery. Evoc- evocative image. This would have been really topical about a year ago. I just, I didn't, I didn't want it to go away. <laughs> but that never will. So we are going to talk about movie posters. This, this is going to involve a strong visual component. So you're going to have to marshal all of your vocabulary skills to explain what your favorite movie posters are. Uh, I mentioned last week. I, I took this one off the table. Uh, the Jaws movie poster is famous, and I, I think because I was thinking about movie posters, I was looking up some old ones. I think I would have to say that might be the greatest movie poster of all time. Um, that's a tough act to follow. And I, I mentioned last week how it was taken from the, the cover of Peter Benchley's novel, but how some important changes were made. Uh, it's just such a beautiful expression of 
what that movie is. It makes you want to see it. It, it adds sex and violence and terror. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's its own little self-contained drama. I think that's just an immaculate movie poster. Uh, so what I want from you guys are your three favorite movie posters that aren't the Jaws movie poster. I remember being bummed when I saw Jaws and it wasn't the shark from the poster, kind of. Like, it wasn't like, oh, he's so fucking huge and toothy and, like, 90 layers of teeth. I probably would have felt that way, but when I first saw Jaws, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Five-minute burst. Uh, I'm sorry? Yeah, well, not, not even five-minute bursts. I just, the moment that the shark emerges, I, I closed my eyes and stopped watching. You that, know, I, the shark eyes... doesn't emerge, though, till like, an hour and 20 minutes in it, doesn't Right, it? and I did not see any more of the movie. Like, my eyes were closed <laughs> the entire watched. time. You're uptight, Sheriff Brody, like 60,000 <laughs> times. And went, it's actually, oh. it's actually, I think it's Chief Brody, you are uptight, is the line. How many times did you hear that guy go, duh, 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 in the sneakers when he's in the boat? What line is that? Oh, where he's telling him to tie off the knots differently. Yeah, is that what he's saying? <laughs> uh, it took many, many, many returns to the theater in the summer of, it was it, 75, to uh, see all of Jaws. That time it was personal. No, that, that was many years later with uh, Miss Lorraine Gary. But anyway, we want movie posters, movie posters that are not Jaws. Uh, we, I want to know your favorites, and we're going to start with you, Dingus. What is your number three favorite movie poster? All right, well, unfortunately for you, Tom, uh, these three are going to be pretty um, subjective. I think uh, that, what, what are you talking about? Mine are all very subjective as well. Why do you, right, good. Why are you saying well, unfortunately they, for me? Because a lot of times you don't like three by threes that are just us talking about yeah. ourselves. Oh, you're going to be objectively brilliant. I see. But, um, but these movie posters are movie posters that I love because I love them because of how they made me feel about the movie or for other reasons. So, um, so my number three is, uh, let me. I'll, I'll give you guys a little bit of dialogue from it. How about that? Okay. Yes. I think I think Kelly will get this dialogue. Uh, here, here we go. Something's going to happen. What? Something wonderful. I don't remember the poster for that. Well, it's it's a drawing of the spaceship coming out of the uh, the little hub, the wheel structured space station. And let's no, talk about 2010. I'm absolutely talking about 2010. Um, the heck, dingus. This is the year we make contact. This is not. Uh, Space Odyssey, uh, and and the the reason I loved it, this is the first one sheet um, I ever bought, and I, I I love I absolutely love that you chose this topic uh, because let's not describe it, Dingus, because I can't think of the 2010 poster. All right, well, the 2010 poster is is the Star Child. Oh God. <laughs> I already ate it. Times in 2001. I don't It's the Star Child, sort of almost in a fetal position, with with Jupiter uh, over, and then the the new sun between. Thing uh, is, when is the Star Child ever in anything but a fetal position? Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Wisdom equals. <laughs> okay, so go ahead. So you see Jupiter, you see the Star Child. Go on. Is there at least a spaceship or Helen Mirren in there or something? No, there's none of those people. Um, the, and again, this is why I think I hate it because uh, this is the first one sheet. And, and just to, to be clear for people who might not know what that means is that that um, uh, I when I really started to love movies, I started to collect movie posters. But the specific ones I started to collect are called one sheets, which are the uh, – they're they're 27 inches by 41 inches now. Um, before before 
this movie came out, they were actually 27 by 40. Um, but they're, they're the advertising posters that movie theaters would put up in the movie theater. That was called a one sheet. Uh, that was the movie poster that would go up in the movie theater. And I started collecting those because I loved those movie theater posters, not the, not the silly ones that you would see in, in something like Spencer's or, or Target or whatever. But these are the actual posters that you would see that the, the movie companies would send out to the theater. And they're called one sheets, and that's twenty-seven by forty-one, or at that time twenty-seven by forty. I and I, and sometimes they would be double printed so that when uh, when light would shine through them, they would they would appear even more clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love those posters. I love them so much. This is the first poster I ever bought, uh, two thousand ten. Then um, this movie came out in nineteen eighty four, I think. And I really loved. I loved going to the movie theaters and seeing this. This is not the first uh, one sheet I owned. I'll get to that when I get to my number one. But uh, this is the first one I bought, and it was it was folded. It was a full. It was. Uh, I, I went. Uh, uh, it was this little uh, movie memorabilia place on Warwick Boulevard in Newport News, Virginia. That my dad took me to, and I, this is one of the first pieces of movie memorabilia I bought. And I, then from that point on, I started collecting these movie posters, and I've got rolls and rolls of them and ended up putting some of them up on my walls. And I just love this particular format. The one sheet of the movie poster, and 2010 is the first one I ever bought, and I love that 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 huge baby head and Jupiter there. Okay, let me ask you this, Dingus. So the topic is actually your favorite movie poster. So fair point. Would you, however, say, and this will lead into, oh, actually Kelly Wan goes next. Maybe this will lead into Kelly Wan's pick. Uh, would you actually say it's a good movie poster? I think it is, um, but not as good as my other two choices. This is okay. really a sentimental pick, okay. and and this is why um, I'm a little bit sheepish about it because a couple of runner-ups I have I think are better choices for actual movie posters. But as far as favorites, th- this is one of my favorites because of what I chose. Fair point. Um, and not having any any understanding of 2001. At that point in my life, uh, I just went to see 2010, uh, and I was like, oh, a space movie. And, I, and, I, and then I went and sought out this movie poster. So so it doesn't – you know, I think part of what you said last week was your favorite, and it also kind of has to do with a movie, uh, but I don't think I can defend it based on what you just asked. No, nope, and I'm not asking you to. I'm just curious uh, because I was actually going to use that to segue into what I did to pick mine. But first, we're going to hear Kelly Wand's number three favorite movie poster. Can I predict it, Kelly Wand? Mm, yeah. Am I Cannonball Run 2. Oh, that one sucked. It's just a <laughs> derivative of the first one. <laughs> There's no cannons in it again. Kelly one, what is your number three pick? And uh Although Susan Anton's better than Bianca Jagger. I, but I think I'd take Adrian Barbeau over Catherine Bach, I think. But Barbara Bach over Catherine Bach. Judy Landers over Audrey. Okay, what's the question? Oh, what movie poster. Oh, uh also third favorite. Grace was evocative. Uh third favorite would be this will be more for Dingus won't make fun of me. <laughs> I'm already ashamed, my whole list, which I composed mostly here a few minutes ago. But anyway, it's ones I feel very strongly about for decades. Um, And the third best one ever was, for me, this is my sentimental one, as uh, Empire Strikes Back, because um, 
I was really interested in how all the different stuff on the poster related because it looked like because it's also it's a movie that takes place in a single day, I think, isn't it? Like Charlie and Chocolate Factory. <laughs> Wait, was Han Solo in the asteroid for a day or ten years, or was Luke Jedi training for like three months or one day? Because then he gets they get to Cloud City like. We're all fine here right now. So I'm presuming this is one of those... Uh, do you know the name uh, Drew Struzan, Kelly Wand? No. Uh, so the artist who did like Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark, this idea of a big poster which has like the, the cast members and then little inset details about... Uh, you know, set pieces from the movie kind of squeezed into the margin, and it, they tend to be colorful. Uh, that's a guy named Drew Struzan, and it's a whole school of, like, movie poster making. Uh, and if you think of Star Wars or Raiders of the Lost Ark, those are kind of the quintessential Drew Struzan movie posters. Um, and uh, I personally want no part of that. I mean, just from a favorite movie poster's perspective, I, I hate that. I do not want to see little set pieces of the movie squeezed into like a, like a child's margin, you know, like a, like a child doodling. I don't need to see something that big and splashy and detailed. Um, well, no, because before I saw the movie, I thought, oh, it's all happening in the same room or something. Like there's like a well, it kind of does... I mean, yeah, it does kind of like cram. That's right, exactly. You'll have the ice planet in the back, and then there's some Tie Fighters. The movies like here, and then um, I I know what you're saying. I mean, a movie is to me a a linear narrative. Like you discover this in in sequence, and the sequence matters. Those Drew Struzan posters, and although they're beautiful and they're famous and they're fantastic marketing tools. I, I just kind of feel that that does a little bit of violence to the narrative in that same way that I don't want to see a trailer to just squeeze all these little bits and pieces from the movie into one big splashy image. Um, I just personally, I can understand why people do that. And I know a lot of movie makers love how it expresses what the movie does, but I, that's just not my bag. Um, but you're, I, I mean, some you, of them, well, my other two aren't like that. Like that was the only, like I said, it's the sentimental choice, but like the star Wars poster, like the, mm-hmm. When I saw Star Wars it, when I was seven or whatever, the only poster I saw for it just said Star Wars against black background, and I thought it was about movie stars. I think I've told you this before. So I thought I was going in to see, like, Star is Born kind of movie. And right. It, <laughs> Imagine your surprise. Uh, but, it, well, like, that's a good poster because you don't it, – it led me into mis-expecting yeah, – that's a word <laughs> – movie about Barbara Streisand, and then it's about lasers. But the, the 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 main Star Wars poster, which is I'm pretty sure Drew Struzan. I mean, that's famous with the this weirdly chiseled chested Mark yeah. Hamill holding and up the lightsaber, and yeah, and she's all like at Frisetta. his foot. It, exactly, it totally looks like a Frazetta painting or something. Um, but then remember there was the Conan poster, and then there was the vac- there was all the posters that parody the Conan poster. Like so, Tom, what's your number three? Oh, sorry, sorry. So, okay, so I, I'm glad you mentioned Drew Struzan, or you mentioned the Empire Strikes Back stuff, because there's an article about Drew Struzan where, uh, and I hope I'm saying his name right, uh, where uh, a bunch of film directors are commenting on, you know, how awesome it is to have him do this. And Frank Darabont uh, has a quote I want to read. This, this leads into what I picked where he talks about how people do movie posters these days. And I I hate, hate, hate most modern movie posters because they mainly cash in on celebrity. They want to show you the most famous box office draw and just a big old fat picture of him. Like I think of the Jack Reacher movie poster. What the heck? It's just Tom Cruise's face. Really? 
Yeah, yeah. Jack, the Jack Reacher movie poster is to me the epitome of bad movie posters, and it's effective. I mean, like I said, when I went to, to the theater recently, the people in front of me ordered tickets for Tom Cruise is Jack Reacher. You know, that's what they <laughs> asked for, and that's what the movie poster is selling. Why isn't just Tom Cruise Tom Cruise then? Why are they even? Well, they're, they're also, you know, they, they license yeah. this, this Lee Child's novel, so they might as well yeah. use that. But anyway, so so Frank Darabont, in talking about these Juice Drews and movie, this artwork, his approach to movie posters, Frank Darabont said, quote, Most of what passes for movie poster art these days are just photoshopped pictures of actors striking saucy poses and staring at us like a troop of lobotomy victims. <laughs> saucy. <laughs> so I just love that because Those I come in troops. I don't. I don't need you know. Uh, Tom Cruise just just clenching his jaw doesn't tell me anything. Actually, it does kind of with Jack. It does Reacher. everything. <laughs> but for the most part, just showing me the cast doesn't tell me anything about the movie. So what I've picked are three movie posters that are not about the cast that that are about that that are an evocative image about the movie. And in at least one case, the movie's terrible. Um, but so what what I want is some unique statement of the movie, something that makes me feel a certain way, that intrigues me. Uh, and there are many different ways to do this, but my three picks are just three notable instances of this. And they're not movie posters I would necessarily hang up. I just remember them being ef- enormously effective. And my number three pick is for a terrible movie from, I think, 1974 called It's Alive. Uh, oh, that's a good one. Fuck. And, and it, just shows, it just shows a crib, but hanging out of the crib is a a weird two-fingered claw and the, the way the light is coming down you see the shadow of the claw on the side of the crib and the words say at the very top there's only one thing wrong with the davis's baby and then you see the title it's alive <laughs> so it's not wrong and i loved seeing I, I just remember how much that preyed on me as a kid it's like holy cats what is in that what what does the rest of it yeah. look like um or is it just the claw well, you know there's a baby at the other end of that claw. You know, Rosemary's Baby has a similar thing, but it doesn't show a claw. I think there's like a crib. But Rosemary's Baby is a great movie. It's Alive is a terrible movie. But the poster, just for how much it shows, how much it doesn't show, how much it implies, uh, how it plays into the title, I just think that It's Alive movie poster is is just brilliant. And if I'm not mistaken, It's Alive came out with originally a poster, I think, I think it might have just showed the crib. It, it tanked and didn't make any money. I think it was re-released. A sequel though. Oh, there's two sequels. Yeah, they've been doing these. These are a remake that was Still made two alive. years ago. Uh, uh, at any rate, I think they re-released it with this poster, and it did better. So I think it, and I could be wrong about that, but I, I know it had a re-release where it actually made money, and I think the its success can be traced to this poster, which is part of the advertising campaign. I was really obsessed with that movie, like, hadn't seen it yet, so I'd ask, like, the kids, like, the cool kids who saw shit before I did right. at school, and i go, what's it, what's it do? Like, what's in the crib? And one guy just went, well, I'll eat some milk, man. And then I was like, God, that sounds good. And then when I finally saw it, it really was, like, not – it was well, even disappointing to watch a milkman get eaten, which I thought was impossible. I would call uh, It's Alive minor Larry Cohen. Uh, there's a guy named oh, Larry Cohen. It's, it's Larry Cohen, yeah. Uh, and by the way, speaking of movie posters, Larry Cohen, I think his best movie is this thing called Q. Uh, and and I think, Fre- say his name, Kelly, one Frazetta? Fre- isn't that yeah. his name? I think he actually did the Q movie poster, which which looks like a Frazetta painting, and it's that big serpent on the Chrysler building. Yeah. Uh, great Frazetta movie. and Michael Moriarty, geniuses. Oh, yeah. Wait, wait. Doesn't, yeah, Larry Cohen can't even ruin, ruin right, that. Egg. <laughs> 
So they did a It's Alive. They did It's Alive 2, which is where they find there are two more of these little mutant babies. They're all alive. That are, they're Damn connected heck. to fertility drugs. And then uh, It's Alive 3 is Island of the Alive. Oh, wait, what happens? The babies have been put on an island. Why? Yeah, That's it's like a Jurassic Park thing for containment. <laughs> Why don't they just kill them? Why do they kill them? Uh, you know what? You'd have to see the movie to find wait, out. Wait, what happens so, on the island? I, I, have, I haven't seen it. I actually have not seen that Watch one. And I don't, I don't even know if Larry Cohen did that. He might have let someone else do it. But there was a remake a couple of years ago, which was all just a CG baby, uh, which was uh, terrible. Um, really? They yeah, yeah. Was it Michael Bay? It was not. I don't recall who it was, but uh, yeah, not even it's Michael Bay would do that. Although you hated Cosmopolis. But if it was like The Fly is Alive. I could see Cronenberg doing a really weird like a monster baby movie. Yeah, so. He kind of already did, I guess. So anyway, uh, that's my number three pick for uh, a favorite <sighs> poster. Um, you got two better than that. That's a great poster. Um, I don't, it's a, the, the other ones aren't horror movies, just as far as that whole... So. Well, they have the best posters, though, usually. Like, you know what? The two poster was really exciting. Okay, I'll shut up. Well, I, there are other great movie posters I want to talk about, but I'll, I'll right. get to those in a second. So, uh, Dingus, what is your number Sorry. two pick for a favorite movie poster? All right, my number two pick, here's a quote from it. This mm-hmm. is this is uh, this actually was a bone of contention between the two of us, and I'm sure... Uh, Dingus, are you going to do this? Are you going to do this to me? You bet I will. Which perfect. Right, here's, here's a quote from it. It seems I'm the only person left on Earth. Do it in the accent, Dingus. If you're going to bring this up, I want to hear the accent. I'll do it in the Quentin Tarantino version of it. <laughs> it seems I'm the only person left on Earth. That sounded South African. one, or his name's Jack Reacher, or Hack Reacher. So here's another thing I hate in movie posters, and then I'll let Dinkus explain this. I hate movie posters that spoil the final shot of a movie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, Dinkus, why don't you tell us about your number three? Oh, that's a good one, though. It is a great poster. It's a beautiful poster, I agree. And I understand. If you want to to get people to see your movie, to sell your movie. Dinkus, what are you talking about here? I'm talking about The Quiet Earth. This is from 1985, directed by G. Off Murphy. Um, and again, this is uh, entirely subjective because uh, as I was uh, hanging around with my friend David Small in high school, it was late one night. We're trying to figure out what the heck we're going to do. We're looking in the newspaper. Are we going to go see a movie? What's playing? Damn, that looks cool. That looks really cool. What is that? It's like Saturn and a bunch of clouds. And All right, let's go see that movie. Well, that's the first shot. Um, I have no idea what the hell that movie is. I've never heard of this. There's no way I would ever hear of it. Uh, I didn't see any trailers about it. There's no way I would have known about this movie, but this image made me go to see it. And I love this movie. It's one, <laughs> The Quiet Earth is, is a movie that I return to time and time again. I, I don't know that necessarily holds up, but it has great sentimental value. And the only reason I went to see it is because of this image. And um, Tom and uh, uh, Christian, I think is his name, have uh, gone back and forth about whether or not this is a spoiler. I don't believe it is. I understand what? Tom's contention that that this is the final shot of the movie and the the poster shows that shot uh, to sell the movie, but I don't think it has anything to do with spoiling the movie and we've gone back and forth with this and got fairly contentious about it. Dingus, uh, how can how can showing you the last shot of the movie if I'm sitting through the quiet earth thinking, <laughs> "Well, wait, when is he going to go to Venus or when is he going to see this the 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 big old Saturn in the sky?" That's spoiling the movie. By its very nature, that is spoiling the movie. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
You present. I, I don't think it has anything to do thematically with the movie. I don't think it's it's it's. It made us. It made us see it. Though. Things, there are things like, for instance, in in um, oh, the thing that drives me crazy is like DVD menus that show you things that are happening in the movie in the DVD menu, and I don't want to see those things. But I don't think that particular shot, while it is a glorious shot in in watching the movie, I don't think that that. I, you know, we've had this discussion before, um, but but for me, just that this particular poster, I love this poster so much because it drew me into a movie that there was no way I would otherwise have seen. And now, I I, I would totally agree with you, Tom. If if a poster showed this, if uh, The Quiet Earth came out in 2012 and showed that, I would be totally pissed uh, because there's no other way. Uh, for me to know how to see The Quiet Earth in 1985, other than seeing this little newspaper reproduction of the movie poster. But in 2012, there's many other ways I would be able to find out how to see The Quiet Earth, this little movie from New Zealand, this tiny little movie from New Zealand that I actually got to see in a theater in Newport News, Virginia in 1985 because of this Ad, and that's why I love this poster so much. I understand what you're saying, and I respect what you're saying, uh, and and I would even concede that it is spoiler if if we stretch that. But I I just don't I don't care because this poster made me see the movie, and I'm so happy that this movie is part of my life. Well, yeah, he's not uh, critiquing the movie. And it's also gorgeous. It's a gorgeous looking image. It's so beautiful. Well, yeah, like, that's why they like, save it for the Saturn and those clouds, like yeah. this take shelter kind of stormy kind of look. Oh, I love that poster so much. And I don't even own it. I love that. That's Tom, the topic I'd... is posters. So No, no, but I but, you know, I was I was gonna shy away from this because we've had this this debate, but I wanted to engage Tom in it because I think his opinion is entirely valid. Well, it's a great poster, too. Yeah. I mean, I love that image, and it's even kind of, as, as far as in the context of Quiet Earth, yeah. uh, it's, Title. it's it's kind of odd, uh, like, because he just... Because it's not Earth. You're like, what? Wait, it's quiet, and there's... A- well, it's also the, the finale is... I'm I, not sure... It, it's 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 weird how it fits into the rest of the the movie. Like the finale, something crazy happens, and oh, this is the outcome. You know, oh, this is the denouement. Uh, and uh, so I don't know. It, it's just such a weird decision for how to end the movie. And I really respect it, and I like it. And I would have hated knowing going in, which I'm sure I did, uh, that this is where it was going to go. Uh, oh, you did know that because I did. Well, I did when I saw, I saw the movie when I was a kid, too, and I'm sure I saw the poster, and I hadn't yet formed my aversion to spoilers. So I don't remember as a kid. <laughs> it's just bad endings being in the poster. I just so, don't remember minding that as a kid. I remember being always minding, and I still mind this when it's the last man on Earth movie like that is, and then they're never the last man on Earth. It's always like a love triangle or something. Well, he is now. <laughs> and it's not even it's Earth not on Earth, though. So. Right, exactly. But it is so, quiet. No love triangles for for him. Well, I don't think it's... Kate's instantly... He's not on Earth. Good point. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know that it's a spoiler in the same way that say. Oh, I should bring this up. Well, Dean, uh, would you mind? Do you do you mind the poster for Planet of the Apes that shows the Statue of Liberty? Ah, uh, no, I, I totally agree with you. And and the, the, what I was going to bring up is, uh, I remember you objecting to the image from Gallipoli, and um, and I I agreed with you that that that's that's terrible but i i don't know i think that this image is uh i don't know i, 
I respect what you're saying about it, but because it was such a powerful image sure. to get me to see a movie I wouldn't have otherwise seen, I give it a pass. All right. All right. Kelly Wan, what do you got to top that? What is your pick for a number two favorite movie poster? My number two favorite movie poster is the Exorcist number one movie poster, which I thought was uh, spooky. Oh, it's such a beautiful image of that the light pouring out of that window. And it's not really a spoiler; it's a tease. It's like, oh, what's gonna happen when he? Gets Why don't you describe it for us, Kelly Wand? It's a priest getting of a limo or a hearse <laughs> being driven by Angus Grimm, and uh, there's it's all foggy because it's uh, Georgetown, which I guess is foggy because it's London, and there's a street light and there's a devil. Light. So this has been the Exorcist postopsis. Opsis. <laughs> yeah. uh, it is. It's this. Uh, yeah. It's. It's. Uh, and I don't know if you can tell he's a priest. I don't think you can. It's just a guy who's obviously. Uh, he's carrying. Posture's like I'm a man of something. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm here for something important, yeah. and he's carrying like a. Ba- he's carrying his yeah. bag, like, like a he, medical he look, bag. Like yeah, like he looks like a doctor or mm-hmm. something. And he's he's coming up in this foggy house, and there's this crazy bright light shining out of the window of the second story God. onto him. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that it says exorcist and you think, oh, there's demons in there somewhere. Right. Uh, yeah, that's a great poster. <laughs> he's not scared because he's got his suitcase. Or his and you're like, yeah, who is this guy? He's yeah. got crucifixes instead of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this guy? Why is this? And, and then they, they, he's looking at the dog and he's like, yeah, whatever. Why don't you <laughs> put crucifix over your heart and test well, your heart? <laughs> what were you referencing, Dingus? <laughs> I remember the way Kelly Wan talked about uh, Martin Scorsese talking about the way his mom had painted that poster. Sorry. Oh, yeah, the dogs. <laughs> I was bummed when the After Hours poster didn't happen in the movie. But anyway, continue with your reels. Uh, all right, so my number two pick uh, is... Uh, again, not not pictures of actors. It's something that I saw. It made me think, holy cats, what's going on there? I want to see this movie. Uh, the poster for Close Encounters of the Third Kind is mainly sky. And there's a horizon and a road going up to the horizon. And just past the horizon, there's some kind of bright light. But the text, and I remembered this as a kid, the text for the poster explains the, the title of the movie. And it says up in this big old starry sky, it says Close Encounters of the First Kind, sighting. Close Encounters of the Second Kind, Evidence. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Contact. And then at the very bottom, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You know, that's what you're getting with this movie. Uh, but I, too, just love that iconic image of this road going to Horizon, and there's something really bright and, and unknown over there. Wait, what's Fourth Kind Abduction? From- uh, I, don't know if it can, I don't know if you can have I'll a Close Encounter beyond the Third Fifth is mating with them. <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> That's a fifth kind encounter. And Sorry. sixth is uh, is marriage or civil union. No, yeah, no, six is kids, <laughs> and then seventh's grandkids. Uh, so I I just loved oh, that poster, uh, and it didn't need it. There there are later posters that show like yeah. the mothership and uh, Dingus. I, wouldn't that be a spoiler? I would not want to see you know the poster with the freaking mothership. Don't don't show me that. Show me the claw. Uh, show me the light. Don't just, show me the mothership. Don't, don't give me too much. Me the teeth. All right. Right. <laughs> the claws are right, not the teeth. <laughs> but just this idea, it's the same the with It's Alive, covers. you know, with It's Alive, it's, hey, what's in that crib? With Close Encounters, it's, hey, what's over the horizon making that bright light? On the island of the dead poster, was it all claws, like, coming out of 
beside behind trees on the island or under the sand? Uh, it's called Island of the Alive. Actually, it's called It's Alive Three: Island of the Alive. And I don't, I'm not sure what the poster is there. Uh, so you'll have to look that up, Kelly Wand. Um, not the answer I wanted. But. All right, so that's my number two, Close Encounters. Uh, Dingus, what is your number one favorite movie poster of all time? All right, I'm going to give you a quote that comes off of the actual poster itself. Hold on, hold on, Dingus, hold on. Kelly Wan, what is the poster for Midnight Run? Like? I know, I was just wondering. Is it, isn't it Probably, just... it's, it's what of Rushmore. <laughs> Mount Rushmore. And he's, it's like a loop in his head. Huh, do you think he's going to do, do that? Is he going to pick the Midnight Run poster? I don't think he would troll us. And Troll is also a good movie poster, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I don't think... I think the poster topic shoehorned him there's too many posters ahead of midnight run okay you might be right let's find out okay okay dingus you're back on the podcast with us what is your number one pick for a movie for your favorite movie poster were you guys talking while i was at, i was just out for a minute were you guys talking no we were uh we were uh it wasn't contact it was just a sighting here's a tagline from the actual poster ah all right, let's see if you guys can identify the movie from the tagline on the poster. Okay. Ready? Yep. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Oh, no. It was even dumber than Tom was hoping. <laughs> I Actually, I, I felt bad talking about Drew Struzan, Drew Struzan too early because I didn't. I know how I feel. Uh, well, it's okay. It's not it's not Drew Struzan at all. It's it's a guy named Thomas uh, or Thomas um, Young, or I think his name is would be pronounced Young. Oh, you know it, what? You're right because it's only the later movie posters that that iconic one yeah. with the chesty Skywalker. That's not the Drew. Struzan. After the movie was a huge hit anyway. They no, no, that's that's Thomas Young, or I don't know if he would pronounce it Young or Young. I've never heard his name pronounced, but I but I know his name because this is the first one sheet poster I ever owned, and um, and again this is part of the subject thing I was talking about that uh, that might be annoying to some people. Uh, this is the first one sheet I ever owned because uh, you know after my parents divorced, this is the movie we that I went to see with my dad over and over and over again. And he eventually bribed an usher to give him the one sheet from the theater. And so it's it's uh, folded in some places, and uh, eventually I rolled it. But he he paid some usher in 1970 to uh, like five bucks to give him this one sheet so that he could give it to me. And this is the first poster I ever owned, the first poster of any kind I ever owned. Uh, I got the Farrah Fawcett poster later from other novels. <laughs> That's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but the the Star Wars poster is the first one sheet I run, and, and the reason I, I I have I have many many uh, movie Modern posters, memories. specifically the the one sheet. Again, I keep saying that because I love that I love that term one sheet. Uh, Jeez, but, you could probably that's probably worth like crazy buku bucks on eBay, wouldn't it be? It's probably not because I oh. I put it up in so many places, and I've had to reinforce the corners with scotch tape and and. <laughs> It's not in it's intended by by any stretch of the imagination, but I love the way that poster looks. And and um and Thomas Jung wasn't supposed to be the first one to do it. Somebody else was supposed to be able to do it, but then he got to. And this guy has done so much work. I mean, just just Google Thomas Jung and you'll find out. And he's done a ton of posters. Okay. Um, 
and he, he the 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 art on it is it's just great. It's it, it is that that ridiculous Luke with his chiseled chest and his long leg and Leia looking far too sexy and Vader behind him and then this cross pattern of the lightsaber which which Thomas Jung was going for this sort of good and, good and evil dichotomy kind of a thing and then all of the the Death Star and all the the X wings sweeping up in the background. I love that poster. It's it's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite earthly possessions, and and one of the few uh, things that I haven't considered putting in a frame with, that I probably should. And I, I I took out my my poster tubes and I I, I unwrapped them and I looked at, at a bunch of them uh, this afternoon as I was going through them. And uh, and this this poster, I just I love it so much. Uh, this this first Star Wars poster, um, I I. I I, I just think it has such a great it's one of the, the there's a, there's one I'll bring up for my for my um runner up that when I look at it uh that I hear the music from the movie um uh, and so yeah so yeah I'm going to go easy and just going to say start the first Star Wars poster by Thomas Young is the is my favorite and you know okay okay so I'm curious what you would think of this thing so just from an objective perspective I, I think that's horrible. It, it's a horrible misrepresentation of Luke's character and Leia's character. And I, I find that, I mean, fine, if you want to sell your movie and get people in there, that's fine. It's effective. It's certainly an iconic poster. But I look at that now as far as what, how it's expressing the movie, and I'm like, no, he's completely missed the point of two very important characters. Well, we thought that was going to happen, though. Like, it was going to head to Luke's going to no, chest, going to fill in. But, but it's just beautiful and operatic. It, you know, I, you're right. It does misrepresent, okay. uh, you know, his whiny character that, that and what he has to do and, and where his character arc has to go and who she is and, and where what their relationship turns out to be. But it's such a beautiful operatic image. Sure, okay. Uh, that I'm crazy. I'm just crazy about that as a poster of its own, and and as a way to get you to, to as a way to capture your imagination, which I think is what movie posters are supposed to do. But I think they should do it without misrepresenting the movie. There's a bunch of great movie posters that uh, I, I think completely misrepresent what you're going to get in the movie, uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit in the the runners up. Uh, and I, I just, I, for me personally, I'm like, don't don't cheat to get me into your movie. I don't I don't sure. appreciate that. I don't appreciate being fooled into thinking that that Luke Skywalker is going to have a chiseled chest and that Leia is going to Jaws cheats be all well, super I, you know. I agree with that in principle, Tom. Mm-hmm. But I, but uh, you know, one of the things that that, uh, that is a, one of the reasons I don't watch trailers is because I think the people who do marketing right. have a singular job, and that is right. to get us to watch the movie regardless. And that's a difficult job to do. And that's one of the things I loved about listening to I think the the commentary track for the movie Seven is that it's it's just such a tough job, and that's different from what the filmmaker is trying to do. So whether or not they're trying to fool me is of no consequence when you tell me to choose my favorite movie. movie no, no, I know, I know. I just, I'm just wanting to point out that I hate your favorite movie poster. Okay, that's, that's <laughs> and all mine. I think you hate all three of mine, and that's absolutely fine. No, Kelly Wan, I love your Exorcist choice, but let's find out, Kelly Wan. So I hate one of yours. I love one of them. What's your number one pick for your favorite movie well, I had a question for Dingus. Yes. Uh, he saw that right after his parents divorced. Did he see one of his parents as the Empire? <laughs> I see you as Yoda, and I think that's enough, Kelly. Also, in the early versions of the Star Wars poster, 
Groden was bronze leader and De Niro was pink four. Uh, Diggis, there's one reason for you to see the the movie Ted, and that is because of a particular moment that uses the soundtrack to Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Thank you. So consider that. Just consider that watching Ted. Uh, by the way, I'm standing. I'm standing in my office right now, and uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back is on my wall. So as you guys were talking about it, I could look at that. You know, Han is bending Leia over and about to kiss totally. her. Whoa! Whoa! Oh! Oh! Okay. Not oh, bending yeah. her over like a cabinet. He's, he's just—he's like dipping her. About bending her over R two D two. No. Who's in on Dagobah for a day? Moving on. Moving on. I'm sorry. Oh. Up. Right, Wait, that on. was the thing you focused on, not hot, not Luke and his. Uh, Ice beast. No, I, 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 all I'm looking at is is uh, Han about to kiss Leia. Uh, with what uh, expression? <laughs> really? She's never been kissed like that. She kisses nice men. Hey, remember the Revenge of the Jedi poster? Like, oh, Revenge of the Jedi, and then somehow when it, when it said Return of the Jedi, it looked kind of shitty. Like, uh, uh, Jedi's don't get revenge, Kelly Wand. I know, but then I realized the movie wasn't going to be any good. Kyle, what is your number one pick? What is your oh, favorite was... of all times movie poster? Um, I guess The Little Mermaid, where the dick is in the sand. No, uh, Alien, because it's an egg and it's got a light in it. Okay, like... here's another one. I hate the Alien poster. Why is there green? <laughs> green light does not spill out of those eggs. See, everything with you is like, it's got to happen in the movie, but like Jaws doesn't. No, it doesn't have to happen in the movie. It has to represent something in the movie. And Jaws is not cheating because is the great. shark does swim up underneath her like that. I mean, that actually happens. Yeah, but the shark's way huger in that poster than it really But it's is. also daytime. What's going on? It's so crazy. Ah, good point. Dingus does have a point. Uh, so, no, I, I'm like, why is the green light? What is that green light? And why is that coming out of an egg? That's not I what's in there. Let's well, see. It's impossible for me to divorce that from the image of the trailer or the teaser trailer where it's in space, nothing in here. You scream and that the way those eggs look in the trailer and the way the, the letters look. Yeah. It's impossible for me to divorce the, the poster from that. See, he says divorce a lot all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. What's going on with me? <laughs> Well, I, I see that poster, and I immediately just think of – I have fond memories of how awesome Alien is. So no, I love it for that reason. But just from deconstructing it intellectually, I'm like, no, there's no green light in those eggs. Don't – just stop. Go back. That was the one track. we didn't see because it, oh, it hatches, and then John Hurt's already got a thing somehow in his space home. I don't really understand either. Like, isn't he going to die from exposure to the – so anyway. why do, why do you choose that, Kelly? Why why does that mean? Because it made me go, oh, what's green in there? And glowing green and has a self like it's it's a fine Zardots. It's my number one. <laughs> Put it down. Because I uh, doesn't it show the planet too, or did I imagine that, or is it just an egg? I think the alien poster is just a floating egg, and I'm pretty sure it's even See? floating. I could be. Why right. is it floating? Why does this flying thing have green light coming out of it? Great. Space. In space, no one can you scream, but like the the preview is super loud, like the poster. <laughs> All right, I'm an idiot. Look, I don't do this podcast because I'm smart. No, so hold on. So again, it's your favorite movie posters, and I'm fine with that. I'm just going to be the old curmudgeon who disapproves of things that you like. Okay, so I have a light at the end of a road that's blue. Great. If it's a green light, come out of an egg. Fuck you. <laughs> Driving fine, floating shit. Yeah. All right. Here's my favorite movie poster, <laughs> simply because it really gets to what I'm talking about and what I love in movie posters. And it's a modern movie. It's from it's from a movie from last year. Uh, 
So it, it features a very, very famous person, and there's a couple of posters for the movie. This one poster, in one of the posters, it has this famous person. This is a poster that I'd seen more often. It doesn't have the famous person. It, it also hides things about the movie that I would not want to know. There are no spoilers in this. It makes me think, hey, what's what am I looking at here? It's presented provocatively. Uh, so my favorite movie poster at this point in time, I reserve the right to change my mind, but I, I would have to pick the, the Tree of Life poster that has that little baby's foot cradled in an adult hand, and there's like light behind them, and, and there's almost like a little sun near the baby's foot. I just love that image for what it says about the movie. And for what it doesn't say, like if there had been a galaxy or a dinosaur on the poster, I would have been really upset for <laughs> all. Because I was so happy to see that movie and discover what it did and what happened and not have that spoiled for me. I mean, it just looks like some some mystical domestic thing about, hey, babies are awesome. But just the image of that that smooth baby tiny toed foot and the adult hand cradling it. Uh, I love that picture. Um, and I love just the coloring. And it's just this light translucent almost skin color uh with the light behind it so just that's a gorgeous that's a gorgeous pick oh i can and i can feel it in my hands i mean i can see what you're talking about that's a gorgeous Star pick. Child Good job. Dad. it's alive it's <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna try to think of movie posters with babies because i our child's alive and its hand is small <laughs> we hate it it's not deformed enough so I love that. I love that pick. Is that is such a great. Uh, I I like your. I like what you're going for as far as your uh, limitations, and I, I think it's beautiful. It's such a, such a beautiful picture. Good job. And, and knowing too that it's like a Terrence Malick movie, like the, his history and, and the way there there is a, a version of the poster though where you do see Brad Pitt looking at a baby foot, and you're like, oh, it's a Brad Pitt movie. Uh, but I love the fact that they resisted the temptation with this poster. To, to make it seem like a, a Brad Pitt movie. I oh. prefer the one sheet where it's them all on the beach at the end and shots. <laughs> That's a really good I prefer the one sheet where it's ten people leaving the theater that I was in. <laughs> During the movie? During uh, the dinosaur sequence. What if Watchmen had just been a giant blue dick? Well, to some people it was. Kill you, wand. Uh, so before we do our runners-up, uh, I want to uh, see what our readers have said, because we don't want to oh, sp- spoil anything that uh, that they might have picked. So uh, this week we have uh, three submissions. Hold on. Uh, God. Kelly, would you uh, open this <laughs> for me? Yeah, hang on. <laughs> uh, app. Patching. All right. So uh, this week we have uh, – oh, hold on. Hold on. I predict no Paul Weimer. No, I'm sure we'll always have a Paul. It's Paul Weimer this week, by the way. What? No, good. I'm glad we make that. The Roseanne kids, actresses. <laughs> All right. So uh, Paul <laughs> Weimer writes uh, his three choices. Uh, he says, uh, here are my choices for three well-done movie posters. In many ways, it's a dying art like movie trailers. Amen, Paul. I'm with you there. Uh, number three. Oh, good Lord. Uh, all right. <laughs> Number three, Paul Weimer picks Cowboys and Aliens. What? Well, here's his explanation. Yeah, I, oh, very good. Yeah, I know you're rolling your eyes. We are, Paul. Uh, but this poster shows the two male leads, the fact that it's a Western, but Daniel Craig has some weird alien tech on his arm. The movie may not have lived up to this poster, but it did help prepare me for what we were going to get. 
that's a fair point. You know, it's sort of like it looks like something you would expect, but oh, what's on Daniel? What's his little gadget on? It's laser blast, but with cowboys. Uh, His number two pick, oh, I like this one, uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, Paul writes, I was... Yeah, that's a good one. That's yeah. really good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was brought to mind by this, by it being mentioned on the last 3x3. Three three. It's an incredibly detailed cover with lots of elements that evoke what the movie is going to be about and what it's trying to be. Very good pick. Uh, number one, an oldie but a goodie, he picks North by Northwest. Ah, yes, that is beautiful. And he also includes images. Uh, he says this poster gives a visual representation for the classic action, for the classic scene with the biplane, and gives a sense of motion and action for the character, invicative, indicative of the film's plot. And I would add, Paul doesn't write this, but I, Tom Chick, would add, it's a spoiler. <laughs> and this is the title. Because <laughs> I would be watching North by Northwest, thinking, "Oh, when is the when is that biplane to strafe Cary Grant?" But it does at least show up, as opposed to green lights and Leah's tits. Exactly. Okay. Uh, three very good picks from Paul. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Michael Oberly. Mike Oberly writes. Uh, I expect to get. Uh, let's see. Here we go. First off, a movie I don't really like by a director who I love, A Clockwork Orange. Even, oh, even though I don't like this movie, the poster is eerie and creepy and lets the prospective viewer know what he's in for. It's oddly cartoony, though. Uh, it almost, yeah, it does. But you know what? I guess so is the movie. So fair point. Very good point. It taps into our unease over citrus fruits. And false eyelashes on Malcolm McDowell. Watch parts. Uh, Mike's second pick. My second selection is another movie that I don't care for called, well, wait a minute. What's this? Apparently, Mike Oberly does not like The Exorcist, huh. uh, even though I don't like this movie. What? He says it twice. Uh, even though I don't like this movie, the poster is iconic. I remember seeing this as a kid and wondering what it was about. Yes. Uh, the picture of a sort of conservative-looking guy with a suitcase walking toward an unknown destination, along with the sinister reputation of the movie, just creeped me out. Uh, yeah, exactly. When people fainted and vomited in the early screenings of that, what was the thing they were... Were they vomiting and fainting at the vomit and fainting scenes? Or, like, just... No, they just they just ate something that didn't agree with them. Yeah, exactly. Bad chicken sandwich, bad mayonnaise, Kelly Wan, that'll do it. Uh, Mike Oberly writes, My third selection is for another creepy movie that is one of my favorites, Rosemary's Baby. Oh, yeah. What I was it? I don't think any other horror movie has as creepy a poster as this with the baby carriage sitting on the rock outcropping and Rosemary's face looking at the sky. Uh, Mike, check out that It's Alive poster. Yeah, It's Alive's <laughs> creepier. We're good. It's also, did you ever feel kind of jacked that you don't see the baby in Rosemary's movie? Uh, I think Roman Polanski knows what he's doing. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and then Mike writes, uh, I love your podcast. It makes my work nights fly by. Thank you, Mike. Very good pick. Hey, thank you. What a cool uh, thing to say. Jeff Sweet. Uh, so if Paul Weimer is our fourth Beatle, Jeff Sweet, our fifth Beatle, writes, Hey there, guys. For this week, I decided to go with three films that I managed to go into without knowing anything about them other than having seen the poster. Jeff, that's the way to do it. Well played. Uh, he writes, I found all three to be simple but striking and managed to pique my curiosity without actually telling me what they were about. And he just lists the movies, but he includes links that I'm clicking on here. Number three, actually, I haven't seen some of these. Spoilers. 
Well, no, I haven't seen some of these posters. I've seen different oh. posters. Number three is a poster for Buried, which has this uh, crazy, like, vertigo spiral image, yeah, but with a, a square one. instead of a circle. Uh, I, I, I don't think I've seen that before. Uh, number two is Moon, which... Yeah! And it has a bunch of concentric circles around Sam Rockwell in an astronaut outfit. Um, I don't know that I've huh. seen that one, though. I, I love that. That's That would have... Uh, go ahead. Well, it also, uh, I don't know if I'd call this a spoiler, 950,000 miles from home, the hardest thing to face, dot, 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 is yourself, Moon. Oh. That, was, that, was, that was my number one runner-up, because when you look at that concentric circle where it's just Sam standing there in the middle and all those concentric circles, whenever I see that, I immediately hear the soundtrack. Whenever I see that ah. image, I love that movie poster so much. It's one of my favorite movie posters because uh, it just it, it resonates. It immediately makes me hear the music. And I love how he's kind of small, just in the, those circles. Like I, I love the visual of that. And by the way, if you look at it and unfocus your eyes, you can see a unicorn <laughs> there. Uh, Jeff Sweet's number one pick. Oh, and I love this. Oh, dang! I kind of wished I'd picked this one. His number one pick is a poster for a movie that you how, that would be unposterable. Basically, how would you make a poster for Cabin in the Woods without spoiling something? And by golly, they did it. So the poster for Cabin in the Woods just shows a cabin kind of turned as a puzzle cube, like a Rubik's cube, like it's it's partly rotated. Uh, That's a spoiler, kind of. I don't think so. I mean, because no. that, that's how they had to sell it. You know, the, the tagline for it is, you think you know the story. Like, Cabin in the Woods, yeah. they had to get people in there and not think, okay, it's just kids getting murdered in the woods. They had to the let title. you know that something was different. Uh, and to, to be fair to Cabin in the Woods, like, I see this poster. It doesn't spoil anything specific to a scene in the movie. It just conveys the feeling that there's something weird going on. And it doesn't tell me what it is. Now, to be fair... The first scene in Cabin in the Woods sort of tips its hand a little bit, so Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard weren't playing it that close to the chest. But I like how this poster expresses that without being too specific. Um, so, all right, so uh, Jeff, very good picks. So let's talk some of our runners up. What do you guys have? I like the Cloverfield one because it's a monster set. You have to see it. You have to find it. The I like things. The Cloverfield poster? Yeah, you know, you know that. No, stop! You can't see the monster in the Cloverfield poster. Ah, uh, really? Yeah. Dingus, do you know about this? No. <sighs> Kelly, I think you're punking us, but go ahead. Uh, I'm gonna uh, indulge you. Tell us how do you his see faces this? in the clouds? You fucking. Oh penis. please! That's what? like penis and the Little Mermaid thing. Oh no. Well, okay. <laughs> Touche, <laughs> but it's not a dick. It's a monster's head. Totally different. It's not a one-eyed monster's head. It's a sea creature's. You can't. You, the actual Come on, quote. this is a known thing. You're saying the most viral marketing movie ever didn't have a secret monster in the clouds? How dare you? I did not know that. I, uh, I'm going to go, go look at it. It's really good. In okay. fact, it's my new number one. Since okay. my, my whole list is. No, you pick shirt. Alien because you want things that have green light inside of them. Cloverfield's green. Taps good. into my fear of the color, and so do Leprechaun. Very good. Also the poster. Uh, Dingus, what kind of uh, runners-up do you have? Uh, my runners-up are more star-oriented posters, mm -hmm. and uh, I'll just I'll confine it to two because I could talk about this all night. This is I love this topic. Um, uh, well, let me sneak sneak one more in uh, the the two towers poster of this gigantic uh, this gigantic almost 
super close up of Orthanc. Uh, I I love the two towers poster, but but the but my actual two runners up are are Rain Man. Uh, it's it's this this weird uh, zoom in almost of of um, of Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman walking down the driveway, and it's and he's got his glasses on. It's just this great character shot. Uh, it's just one of those posters that I really really love. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is Die Hard, and um, it's it's another one of the first one sheets I I bought, uh, and it and it it's this weird thing. It's it's uh, the the center you see Nakatomi Plaza and uh, police like searchlights going up it, and on on one side of it is is this huge slab of Bruce Willis's face uh, <laughs> looking sideways, and the top of Nakatomi Plaza is exploding, and the other side you see like L.A. and but but the other half of the poster is this cross section of text. Where where it's high above the city of L.A. And there's so much text on the poster. I just I love that. And at the very top, it's 40 stories of sheer adventure. Um, so you have this huge face of Bruce Willis, who we didn't know at that time. I remember going to see Bruce Bruce That's Willis in, this, in Die Hard and going, I don't I don't know who this is. I'm just going to see Die Hard. I I didn't watch Moonlighting. I didn't know who the hell this guy was. And just and this is after seeing Lethal Weapon, which is just. Mel Gibson's face with Danny Glover behind him. So, th- so it's Bruce Willis and Nakatomi Plaza and an explosion at the top. And I just love the way this splash of of almost black and white image with the red diehard in the bottom marks. So, Dingus, do you know what I I I I don't want to say like it's a ripoff or an homage or, but that poster makes me think of one that I want to bring up uh, that I. I I almost put on my list. It's it's not a good movie, but it, this poster that I think Die Hard is kind of homaging or referencing comes from a long tradition of posters for this genre of movie, and the genre is Irwin Allen disaster movies. <laughs> nice. Towering Inferno. Towering Inferno is an amazing poster, and for a couple of reasons, but let me explain first what this does. Like The whole school of thought behind these Irwin Allen disaster movies is to show this busy splash of activity where you think, oh, no, what's going to happen next? And it makes you want to go see the movie. Um, And furthermore, they include that same kind of text that describes something (laughs) that is happening. And then, you know, Die Hard doesn't do this, but then they'll have the little inset pictures of the cast at the very bottom uh, that show, you know, George Kennedy tends to be one of them. Uh, And the, the, the Towering Inferno one is brilliant for a couple of reasons. So the Towering Inferno one, the Die Hard shot of Nakatomi Plaza is kind of like from straight on. So it's just a skyscraper, and it, it sort of fits there, and you see the explosion at the top. The Towering Inferno poster does this weird thing where it's a shot of the, the skyscraper from above so that you see down to the street. And You're you, towering. And you get a, no, you get a sense for how tall it is and how high it is off of the street. You know, you get a sense for, and also the scale, because you see people clustered on the top and you see the fire along the bottom. And it says, the text says, it's just like that diehard thing. It reads, and I wrote this down, the tallest building in the world is on fire. You are there with 294 other guests. There's no way down. There's no way out. 
<laughs> and it, all of that is on the poster. Now, it's not done, though. This is not math. done. No, it's, it's a lot of math, and the poster shows you how tall the skyscraper is. It shows an adjoining skyscraper with the firefighters trying to spray water. I think there's helicopters and the people trapped on the bottom. Then there's the cast at the bottom. But they make room on this poster for Paul Newman and uh, Steve McQueen. And there are big old pictures of them right next to the skyscraper. Uh, and, and not only that, it, it says their name. It also says, there's just so much information packed on this poster. It says, <laughs> it says their jobs. It says, the, <laughs> yeah. It says, it, it says the architect the under oh, under sorry. Paul Newman. It says the architect, and under Steve McQueen, it says the fire chief. And it's obviously the, a terrible architect. Is the and, and then at the very bottom, with all the pictures of like Melvin Douglas and whatnot, it says like the con man, the girlfriend, you know, Anne Bancroft. Like this thing is just packed, but just that striking visual of. Holy cats, those people are trapped. What next? You know, and all these Irwin Allen movie posters did that kind of thing. Like the Poseidon Adventure one, it shows all the water bursting into the upside down ballroom and Gene Hackman at the very forefront running from this water. And then at the very bottom, it shows the logo with the, sh- the sinking ship. Um, What's you know, job? he's, I think he's a preacher in that movie, actually. He's a unit, he's a Unitarian preacher, if I'm not mistaken. Rediscovers. In, in Poseidon Adventure. Uh, and even in the, the airport one, it shows the small plane bouncing off of the jumbo jet. In Airport 77, where the jumbo jet sinks, it's, it yeah. shows it, it shows it underwater, like teetering on the edge of a, of a deep chasm. Um, so you, you mentioned the Die Hard one, because it just reminds me of, of, as a kid, seeing all those just hugely provocative, like, oh, no, what's going to happen next, uh, posters for Irwin Allen Concord movies. show the Concord flying and not doing Because nothing happens to it, I don't think. Isn't there yeah. a bomb on it, and they land it's it safely? It's too fast for anything to crash. <laughs> well, they shoot missiles at it. I think it, like, does loop-de-loops oh, to evade missiles in the Concord one. Yeah, I think the genre... I just remember some comedian somewhere saying that the the more little pictures of actors you see on a poster, the worse the movie is going yeah. to be. <laughs> like, I think they, they reference at play in the fields of the Lord, which has like every member of the cast pictured along the bottom of the poster. Well, that, they used to. That's the thing is they used to do some kind of cool artwork, and then it's rather than show. Rather than make the artwork about the cast, they stick their pictures on there, and now they just make the poster the cast. Yeah. Right. Uh, but if you don't hear a guy's name in the trailer, you know that his last movie tanked, or didn't, or he's not. Because I was watching the Die Hard Five. Tra- also, the Die Hard. Did they know it's like the first movie was cool because he was stuck somewhere, like it was claustrophobic kind of thing, and then like third, fourth, fifth one is just like shooting people. Uh, he's stuck in New York. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's not stuck. That's not he's a. Stuck in, he's stuck in an airport. Have you ever been stuck in an airport? Hello, the terminal. Yeah, Kelly Warned. So he's like a human plaza in the first one. Uh, I love poster four. I, I don't like the movie, but I love the poster for Little Miss Sunshine with the sea of yellow, and then there's a the little VW van, and the cast is running towards the van, and they're small. Like it's not a big crazy cast thing. It's just a big, a big warm inviting yellow poster with the the van and and all these people oh, running. You got damn cat, Jesus. That's a good point. I, I I mean I like conceptual posters. Like uh, you just made me think of. I don't know why that made me think of Anatomy of a Murder, but ah, I like that. Saul Bass. Those are Saul Bass posters. I mean, those—that's some amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Human Centipede is some good Anatomy poster. 
You know, so you mentioned Human Centipede. Isn't that behind Frosted Glass? You yeah, see? I so, always, those are always good posters, aren't they? Uh, the poster for Let the Right One In, which shows a, the uh, form of Eli behind the, the Frosted Glass, and you don't know what's going on. There's some ominous shape that wants to come inside, is all you know from that. Uh, but I love that poster. Posters where people are drowning or they're like being, they got mud being poured on them are usually good. Uh, what's an example? Um, mud, <laughs> that Erwin Allen movie. <laughs> Not familiar with that one. Uh, Paul Newman was mud bath operator. Uh, there's one where he plays a bumper jack. Is that what you're thinking of? Yes, that's what I'm somebody. thinking about. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, what's that one? The trees? Are on no, the isn't it based on a Ken Kesey? No, what's... Uh, what? What's, there, there's something where I'm he... You a what? I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I think you're making it up. You're thinking of Dick Van Dyke and it's his chimney sweep. That's a whole genre is J- Dick Van Dyke lumberjack movies. Yeah. That's <laughs> right for parody. Is that a genre I did not know? That. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of those. Uh, yeah. Uh, I hate movie posters that trick me uh, with things that don't happen or with an exaggerated sense of scale. And I think of the. 1976 King Kong, where he is so big that he's straddling yeah. both the twin towers and batting jets down. That's that's a lie. Also, An like better exaggerated sense of scale, like a big King shark. Kong versus Godzilla. It was like, wait, one's climbing the buildings and the other one's stepping on them, but they're somehow going to be the same size. I heard what you're trying to do, Dingus, and Kelly Wan shut you down. I'm sorry, yeah, he, he shut me all down. <laughs> One of the ones I had in college that I remember that I, I I've never seen this movie, but I love the way the poster look. Do you, do you remember the the image of the attack of the fifty foot moon? Well, that's another, that's misleading. I mean, she's like crushing freeways and stuff. That's an awful yeah. poster. She's astride a freeway or yeah. something. and it's kind of hot. Like there's something sexy about her, but no, yeah. it's totally misleading. Kind of hot. Are you kidding? I'm gonna Damn. fucking ramp that jump that fucking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, what was that uh, Vikings up in the Arctic in a blimp movie? That oh, watched? Voyage to the Top of the World. Yes. Oh, that was way better than all my stupid... I love that poster, just for... There's like a, three they're three they're three fighting three. a polar bear, and here's a yeah. killer whale attacking them, and there's a blimp, and there's a volcano going off. And you're like, wait, the North Pole's all that? It's got volcanoes and... Yeah, I love that poster. Uh, it was really, and all that I think happens in the movie, and that was sort of an era, in the seventies. We didn't have like you didn't know what was going to happen in the movie. It was a lot of unpredictability. They didn't just Quiet Earth really opened the doors. Biggest <laughs> is the poster for Punch Drunk Love spoiler because it shows the moment of reunion between uh, Adam Sandler and Emily Watson in Hawaii in that in that <laughs> arch. And the thing is, and by the way, I so admire this. It's a it's a shot from the movie. Like the Punch Drunk Love poster, it looks like, oh, what a great poster that an artist came up with. But no, it's clearly it's a shot from the movie. Uh, I love that about that poster. Um, if love's but, in the title, it's a spoiler. Mm. You guys just made me think of the Black Sunday poster too. Oh, that, ah. that's that disaster movie. That's like, holy cats, what next? The kind of thing. Poster better than the movie. Yeah. Um, See, that's right. the thing. It's like the movie's designed around the poster. Like, oh, blimp, shooting nails. And well, you know, you say that, Kelly Wand, but a lot of times that's an important early stage of getting uh, financing for a movie is make a cool poster. Yeah, but then oh. I can't. Once they got financing because pe- money fuckers went, dude, yeah, blimp. Uh, but once again, the, the people who do marketing are in a different 
their their job is different than the than the artists who are making the movie. Yeah, but if I was the writer, and they go, "Hey, we made this poster of the blimp shooting nails at the Super Bowl. Can you write a story that accommodates that?" I go, "Fuck yeah!" Well, that was also it's a book. Totally, first, anyway. that, it's going to be uh, six blimps and six Super Bowls. Is that is that Thomas six Harris Dingus? Yeah, it's Thomas Harris. It's his that's first the novel. that's the Hannibal Lecter dude. Black yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. See, here's one. I never, uh, I never understood what's going on with the Silence of the Lambs. Who's the girl, and why is there a butterfly in her mouth? <laughs> it's a moth. It's the Death's Head moth. How dare you? Is that Jodie Foster? Lambs. Yeah. Yeah, that's Jodie Foster on the poster. It's not the girl who's been kidnapped. That's not Jodie. Uh, I don't poster. think so. I, I haven't seen it in some time, but I, but yeah, the the idea is that that. Um, Buffalo that the that he had been putting um, moth uh, casings in the throats because he was changing and he'd been putting in. Oh, that's of, right. I vaguely remember that. Okay, yeah. fair point. Great big fat. I, I don't remember if it's Jodie Foster's face. I can't remember. I can't picture it. All right. All right. So uh, there you go. There are some of our yeah. favorite movie posters. Uh, join us. Uh, so uh, quarter to three, we have a, a website. And there's a forum there. We'll we'll be posting our posters there, images of them. Uh, we invite you to come and tell us more about some of your favorite posters and, and stick images in there. This is, this is unfortunately it's a podcast. We don't have any way to show you these directly. I apologize. Uh, all right. So uh, our three by three next week. Uh, Dingus, you would normally uh, be picking a topic, but because next week is our uh, year-end uh, podcast where we will pick our top ten favorite movies and talk about those, uh, for the 3 by 3 we're each going to pick three awards for the end of the year. Now, Dingus, do you have some examples? or? Uh, Wait, he picked yeah. a topic, but it's not his topic? No, no. It's, uh, I, I, what Thomas... Uh, talking about is just we're gonna we're gonna just use this as an opportunity to pick our own awards for the end of the year so i I run my own oscar contest every year and i do something called best miscellaneous thingy uh but we're not going to do that um so let me just give you a rundown of things that i did like in 2010 so for instance uh one of my favorite things in 2010 was the opening sequence of drive or um the animated opening credit sequence in the movie super so if I if I were to say to you, Tom, mm-hmm. um, best instructions delivered over the phone, drive, <laughs> drive, or let's say best opening monologue, the movie Rubber, or uh, you know best best credit sequence this year, super. So we're we're just going to come up with our own awards for these uh, for our top threes. And we invite you to do the same. Uh, get creative with this. You can only have three. That's the rule. There will be no runners-up. So while, <laughs> while we invite you to tell us your favorite movies as well uh, for the year, we would love you to send in your top ten, your top five, your top three. Uh, and especially if you're, you're someone who's been writing us to participate with the three-by-threes, let us know what your favorite movies were of the year, and we will absolutely read those. But more importantly, make up three awards. Give them to the movies of your choice. If you want to use this as an opportunity to... Uh, to, to mention some of your favorite movies, that's great. If you want it as an opportunity to recognize movies that might not get mentioned in top ten lists, do that instead. Uh, do with this as you will. Uh, Lord wait, knows I, we'll, we'll be doing the same. Yes, Kelly Wand. Uh, wait, so it's three favorite movies. <laughs> and ten. And then add seven things. more to those. And then, and then do three awards. That aren't those. <laughs> 
Correct. So it's 13 movies. <laughs> All right. Got it. Make sure they're from 2012, please. Right. Right. Oh, wait, what's that number? So our rule, by the way, uh, in that, in that, you know, this is not NAM, there are rules. Uh, our rules for <laughs> picking our favorite movies is yeah. that it has to have been theatrically, theatrically released in the U.S. in 2012. Ah, so. rest of the world that listens to us. We are here in America. Ergo, you're we were doing, If we were doing a podcast in Uruguay or in Bulgaria, Kelly Wan, the rules would be very different. But, but what would uh, they be? They would be a theatrical release in Bulgaria in 2012. And not America. Right. Oh damn! You just you just enabled me to uh, sneak in one of my favorite movies that I can't get on my list. Good job, Tom. Margaret uh, came out dingus in 2000. Oh, stop it! How dare you? How dare you? It was I said good day, sir. I said good day. <laughs> Wait, are are you thinking well, that was it wasn't the DVD came out in? That's not a theatrical release, Dingus. Well, I was going to be able to sneak it in on my 3v3 somehow, but now I'm not going to. Thanks, Margaret. What if the I'm movie's go- called 2012? I'm going to pick up my Blu-ray now. And I'm- <laughs> Goodbye, Margaret. Goodbye, Sorry. Margaret. F you, Margaret. <laughs> Wow. All right, so uh, join us for that next week. Uh, also, uh, if you want to see something opening next week, don't let us stop you. Kelly, what's opening next week, by the way? Uh, Twilight, the third <laughs> Breaking Dawn. It's totally going to break this time. We've got, breaking. Gentlemen, we've got a long January ahead of us. I'm kind of dreading it. Oh, look at Lord. No, it's got Gangster Squad. Gangster Squad, <laughs> Broken <laughs> City. What's uh, that one? Broken oh, wait. You know what preview I saw that looked kind of exciting to me? It was Dark Skies. <laughs> That's the movie where the house attracts birds. Yeah. yeah. What? Well, so, oh. It taps fear of uh, glass doors. Yeah. Three different migrations. The way Spanglish taps into my fear of glass doors. All right, so join us for that next week. Uh, do participate. Send us your three awards. We would love to read them. Uh, the address is 3 by 3 at quarter to 3com That's 3x3 at, spell out the words, quarter to 3com uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Murdansky. It's Christian Uroski. <laughs> I'm silent. Beautiful. And uh, Kelly Wand. What if I liked one movie and it was Django? Hi guys. Uh, Tom, I was bummed out when in the Avalanche poster for that movie, the poster showed boulders made out of snow that were shaped like the letters for the Avalanche. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I wonder, that's really ironic. I wonder how that's going to be. Like, that's obviously a divine thing. The letters of Avalanche. Was the movie good? Uh, I, I didn't see the movie, but I read the first two pages of the book. I think it's Robin Williams' character, and uh, they're interviewing him, and the newsman goes, "What's the meaning of the word fear?" So, I don't know. That's his Right. Um, I'm gonna have to put that in my Netflix queue. Kelly, <laughs> what's better, Avalanche or Earthquake with Charlton Heston? Earthquake lasts two seconds. But no, but the movie's a lot. By the way, do you know there's an Eli Roth produced horror movie about an earthquake in Peru? Do you know about this? Did you see the trailer for this? What's it called? So Eli Roth is called Aftershock, and it's a bunch of kids go to some third world country and they're partying in a nightclub, and there's an earthquake. 
<laughs> Every time you watch it, Glorious Bastards, he just gets better and better. <laughs> if only uh, I'd see it just hurts to watch that and, and know we could have had Adam Sandler. Oh, Sin and Glorious Bastards. That's the thing with the movies. <laughs> you get mad at all in the street. Tom, remember the poster? Psycho is a spoiler. It's got a knife in it. You silver-tongued devil. <laughs>